Welcome back to At The Corner. I am your host, Zach. As always, I'll be joined shortly by my co-host, Chuck. But we have a very special episode for you guys today. Chuck and I had the privilege of sitting down with Scott Bybee. Scott is the father of Tanner Bybee, who's a pitcher in the Guardians farm system. Currently with Double A Akron, uh, probably one of my favorite prospects to watch. And we were so fortunate that Scott agreed to uh, sit down and uh, just let us pick his brain. He is so incredibly smart. He's been around the game of baseball for a long time. Uh, I didn't know before we did the interview that he was actually drafted in the old draft uh, before the draft format changed. And uh, he's got an immense amount of knowledge. Uh, we talk about Tanner. We talk about um, some advice for young players and parents of young players. Uh, I'm super excited to get that to you guys. So let's go. You're listening to At The Corner, a Cleveland Guardians podcast by Zach Caldwell and Chuck B. Brought to you by Network 216. Fastball hit in the air. A swing and a drive! Away back! So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and turn this over to the interview. Uh, There will be an ad read in between uh, the interview and us talking ball. As always, we're part of Network 2 and 6. We're sponsored by Underdog Fantasy. If you guys play daily fantasy sports, you want to go to underdogfantasy.com or download the app, sign up with code 216, and Underdog will match your deposit up to $100. And I'll tell you guys more about that later. But for now, let's go ahead and go to the interview with Scott. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for joining us today on At The Corner. I'm your host, Zach. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Chuck. And we have a very special segment today. Ladies and gentlemen, fans of the podcast and listeners, we are joined tonight by Scott Bybee. Uh, Scott Woo! is Scott is Tanner Bybee's dad. And uh, Scott, I'll let you introduce yourself. Thank you for joining us. Oh, well, thanks for having me. This is this is a great opportunity. Um, really appreciate it. Um, there's not much to tell with me. Just, uh, you know, I played baseball when I was younger and, and uh, was – Drafted out of high school by the Seattle Mariners in the thirtieth round. Oh and, goodness! Uh, didn't didn't do anything with it. Just uh, you know, that's a longer story than I've got. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> learned a lot of things, you know, on the way. And and uh, when we had Tanner, and I passed it along to him, and and uh, it's been an awesome journey so far. Well, that's, that's that is amazing, Zach. I never knew. You, you, did, did you know he was drafted by Seattle? I no, I I did not. I did not. So my mind right out of the gate. So <laughs> Scott, okay, so actually, ask I'll ask you right off the gate then. Um, okay. So in the draft, like, what was that process like for you? So you were drafted in what year? Nineteen eighty-eight in the thirtieth round. In the thirtieth yeah. round. So what was that process like for you? Well, it was pretty. I it really didn't have anything you know that it, it was just it was really weird weird because when i was growing up they called me a late bloomer but i'm not really a believer in late bloomers i'm a i'm a believer in kids who grow into themselves at the pace they need to so i'm 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 a believer in early bloomers because of being able to manufacture velocity today and all that kind of stuff. And you definitely 100% it's been proven that you can manufacture velocity. And I just believe that kids blossom when they're, you know, players blossom when they're supposed to. And I actually didn't play high school baseball until I was a junior in high school. And I actually played JV as a junior. And then (laughs) when I, got made it to the the varsity team 
as a senior, that was the year I got drafted. And, you know, back in that time, it was, you know, you throw 90, 91 in high school, you're automatically, oh, this kid's good enough, you know, and that's pretty much what happened. But that was also back in the time when velocity, I mean, uh, radar guns were starting to come around, you know, and it was a new thing that early, you know, like Nolan Ryan and all that kind of stuff, you know, but yeah, I mean, how it happened for me was I was just, I, I played in a summer ball for a team called the Carson Capitals. And that team was like pretty much the very first around that time was the very first travel ball that ever came around. And we basically, how we had to do that was we had to go and uh, go to businesses and, you know, pretty much ask them to help with this program because it was a pretty well-known program. So we'd go ask for donations and things like that to build up the amount of money to go travel and uh, we played in a, you know, at the end of the summer, we played in a CABA World Series that was over in Nashville, Tennessee. Wow. And that was a blast. I mean, that was so much fun. And um, so when I was at practice for that team, um, my head coach was up in the um, press box and I had no idea what was going on. And so they, they basically went over the, the PA system. Hey, baby, get up here, you know? And I'm like, Oh, what's going on? And all the whole team's like, Oh, what'd you do? Cause our, <laughs> our, yeah, you know, I was like, I don't know, you know? So I went up to the press box and my parents were there and, and uh, the scout that drafted me was there. His name was Butch Bacala. And um, they just, they told me, you know, Hey, you were just drafted. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and it was just a shock. It's not like it is today for sure. You know, that is, and it, that is, that is so cool. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> well, wow. so I, I, I thank you for sharing that. I think, I think that's some perspective that deserves to be preserved because as you said, the draft process works a little differently now. And right. um, even though the major league baseball draft doesn't get the hype that it should, mm-hmm. uh, I think people pay attention to it more now than they have in the past, you know, paying attention to, where kids are being drafted out of, you know, obviously the major league baseball draft just concluded this year. Right. Um, and I think that's, that's some really cool perspective. Uh, and that's pretty, that's pretty neat that you had absolutely no idea. Yeah. No, no idea. And then, and then a couple, you know, weeks later, I got a telegram, believe it or not, in the mail saying you've been drafted by Seattle Mariners. That's amazing. That's yeah. incredible. So I take it then you went, to whatever the equivalent of camp was then at the time, correct? No. So the funny thing is, is back then, you know, you're looking at like 70 rounds is what it was back then. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, you know, the draft year, I mean, that was the year Mike Piazza was drafted in the 62nd round. And I was, I was taken before Deion Sanders as well, you know, so that was kind of puts a, puts that into perspective, you know, and um so basically um i just lost my train of thought uh what's that oh yeah i was uh i was they they in the 30th round you're a draft and follow so they draft you and then they would put you on like a a summer team where you would go travel travel around and play like 
D1 colleges and, you know, things like that. And you basically would play in the summertime. And then basically I was going to go to the college of where I was chosen to go to. And that was Modesto Junior College at that time. That is amazing. So, yeah. That's so, I mean, that dra- draft and follow is a pretty cool thing. So they didn't have any, they didn't have any uh, um, intentions of signing you. They were just like, we're going to draft you. We're going to hold on to you so nobody else can grab you. And like a draft and stash. Through. Right, right. So that's how. Kind of like you see in the NBA <laughs> where teams sometimes take uh, international players, even though they may not be ready to come over to the U.S. yet. They hold on to right. the rights to sign you. Yep, yep. That's that's how that worked, yeah. So, so then I that just, is absolutely I, fantastic. I, yeah. <laughs> and then I just ended up, I didn't, I played for like that, that's that winter. And we actually came down and played like, Orange Coast College and Fullerton and all these other teams through California. And then uh, basically uh, I didn't move on from there, but like I said, it's a longer story than, than uh, I want to get into, but. (laughs) Well, I appreciate you. I appreciate you being willing to share with us what you did. That's uh, I think that's invaluable. Yeah. Because like, obviously the process works a lot different now. And uh, you mentioned early that, you said, you know, you did allevi- allude to the fact that like sports science has evolved a lot. Um, and uh-huh. the fact that, you know, we do know now that manu- that velocity can be manufactured. Absolutely. Um, we understand from a sports science perspective, what muscle groups go into that, what exercises you can do to get that velocity up, uh-huh. um, how we protect our players health uh, in terms of things we do, things we don't do. Uh, things that we do along with exercises to keep uh, range and mobility. All of that has blown up. I would say maybe just more so in the last 10 years. Sure. Uh, yep. Than anything, you know, you look at, you look at high schools. I think of, um, I think of the high school Daniel Espino was drafted at, which is actually not too far from where I live. Uh, uh-huh. Georgia premier, okay. Georgia premier. Uh, they consistently manufacture high velocity pitchers. Right. Uh, and, you know, they're they're one of, the, you know, Georgia's big, big prep schools for baseball. They actually, so, Zach, they actually, uh, we actually just drafted, uh, you know, Cleveland Guardians just drafted um, uh, Javier Santos to have yep. out of our seventh round pick out of there as well. So yep, former cool. former teammate of Daniel Espino. Yeah. So, well, Scott, I appreciate you sharing that perspective because I had no idea uh, that you were drafted. And uh, yeah. that's that's pretty cool. So I want to ask 30, you some questions. 30th round out of Carson City, Nevada, right? Yep. Yes, sir. That's it. Yes. Round. <laughs> One, that's Doing crazy. Research, man. That's work. crazy that Mike Piazza was drafted in that same year, too. Yeah. And Deion Sanders. Yep. Yeah, and Deion Sanders. Proof that uh, time changes a lot of things because the draft works a lot different now. Right. I'm like, no, I'm just floored. I'm like blown away that like that that's how you were told you were drafted. It's not like it's not, <laughs> It's not yeah. like today, you know, where like everybody has like their, you know, everybody's in the in the green room and, you know, the commissioner comes up and you know, most the, players have agents that represent them, too. Yeah. Right. Guardians right. select this. And it's, it's I'm just blown away how like all these years later, how diff- different the process is. That was mind blowing. Yep. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that, Scott. Sure. So um, I want to I want to ask you some questions. I think you have some pretty unique perspective. Um being a dad as of a son who has grown up playing baseball and uh, played at the college level and was drafted and is now playing professionally. 
Mm-hmm. So how did did Tanner express an interest natively in baseball? Um, and do you think that comes from do you think that comes from the fact that you played and had exposure to the draft process or was it like his own natural interest? Well, the, fir- the first the first thing that ever happened with no, you got to you got to pretty much see if they have any kind of interest or or any sort of talent. Right. So, yep. I mean, this is this is one of our great stories where Tanner was in a he was two years old. Right. He was in a saucer. One of those things where he, you kids couldn't even walk. You put him in this saucer, you know, that that they have the little toys all around it and everything. And the first thing I ever did when he was about that age, I just handed him a baseball and he looked at it and he threw it. I was like, all right. So that's instinctual. Right. So I just said, okay, you know, let's see what happens, you know? And, and as he got older and, and uh, you know, about three years old, I started playing catch with him. And, and then the next thing you do is you see if he has, hand-eye coordination and he's able to hit a ball with a, a bat you know things like that or put him on one of those you know little tykes t-ball things with the water and the ball goes up in the air and, and can he make contact well he was able to do that and then he was over at his grandma's house one day and and he had a big long stick and you know how you have those uh um uh, umbrella tables out in the in the um uh, patio Right. Yeah. The umbrella goes through the table with a little hole. So he took that stick and he was holding it on one end and he was able to put the stick through the hole. So he was like three years old, you know. So we were like, all right, he's got some pretty good hand eye coordination. So as he got older, we, you know, put him in, you know, little tiny city leagues and things like that to play and just have some fun. And and then um Little League happened and I started coaching him and him and Little League. And, and uh, so basically, I think that's the right process to see because it's it's interesting to them, you know, when when they're little kids and perfect example, my old my oldest son, he was five and, and we tried to do the same thing with him. And it was just too slow. It was too boring. All he wanted to do was do something else when he was out there. But when they're five years old and they're in the outfield in the right position and you know you tell them hey get ready for the ball is coming and they know what to do in, in instinctually then then you've got something going i think uh that's awesome so grew up through through little league and then i'm assuming played all the way through middle school and high school yes so did anybody approach you guys about the possibility of him being drafted straight out of high school yeah he uh he actually absolutely had interest in high school. You know, he was doing all the, the letter signings, you know, online and things like that. Cause major league baseball has a process where they, they send you um, a, an internet site where you go on and they ask you questions and all that kind of stuff. And you have to fill out these questionnaires and he was getting tons of those through high school and stuff like that. And um, he just, you know, wasn't ready. Uh, he 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 pitched well and his velocity was you know not quite where it should be you know for a right-handed pitcher and and uh he uh basically chose to go to college because he wanted the the development you know and that's basically what you know 
when you know that as a high school player is huge because sometimes you do, you the kids get out there and they the the kids need to understand you know what their talent level is and and uh, exactly what what they can do you know and I I believe my wife and I both believe that college was very important for him absolutely Chuck you got something did you did you watch him play a lot in, in college. Uh, oh, absolutely. It was, uh, we were at every home game because we only live like, you know, half an hour from Cal State Fullerton, just right. down, we further south down the freeway. So we were at every game and we traveled to the closest ones that we could, you know, we, Stanford, we'd go to Stanford, uh, everywhere. You know, we were there as every game that we possibly could. Right. So did you, did you, you basically saw pretty much like, almost all of his starts pretty much while he was uh-huh. in college. Yep. Wow. At and what our... point, at what point did it occur to you through watching Tanner play through high school, the upper levels of high school, and then through college, at what point did it hit you that he had a legitimate chance to do this professionally? As a dad, I knew it the whole, his whole life. <laughs> That's awesome. As a coach, it was high school for sure because wow. of the, the I knew I knew how his progression was going, you know what I mean? Because I knew how I was. And he was he was five five, 120 pounds as a freshman in high school. Oh my. And his first well, his first game was a no decision, kind of like how his life has been, you know. <laughs> but in his second game, he he uh uh, he won that. And then all of a sudden through his freshman year, he was eight now, you know, so his, his pitch ability was there and we knew that it was just the question of how long was it going to take him to gain velocity? That was, that was the only question. Right. At so what just, point, go ahead, Chuck. I'm sorry. Zach, you go first. Nope. Okay. It's all you buddy. You know, we're, we're, uh, we're scouts going to see, was going to see uh Tanner pitch, uh, you know, at certain starts towards, like uh, you know, they, did you guys were you guys aware that there are scouts and and people from Major League Baseball at at his starts? College scouts were coming to him, watching him as a freshman, but professional scouts started coming to watch him probably I would say junior year in high school. I believe the I believe the Guardians were watching him at that point. That's amazing. That's wow. incredible. What point did you see? So obviously we've seen Tanner run his fastball uh, up there pretty heavy. Sometimes this year Mm -hmm. he's been able to hit 99, 98, 99. Uh, What point did you see his fastball velocity really start to come to life? Uh, What, what, like 95, 96 is what you're talking about. Um, He was touching he was he was touching 97 as his last year in college so right. just touching it it was you know and so my i'm sure you guys have seen a comment that i made on twitter or something that says you know hey usually when these guys touch it with the proper you know with what the guardians do with their guys they're going to sit there eventually yeah. and yep. then they're wow. going to be able to touch higher so i mean that's exactly what has happened that's what that's what's really been fascinating he's so he's pretty much now he's I saw a start where he touched 99, 100, and is basically sitting at 97 now. Right. So he's, thought, he's, sitting, he's sitting mostly 90s, 95 to 96. 
and wow. he's touching 97 more often yeah. and he's you know but he i it's just you know the guardians have done a great job with him i mean he has they have they have tweaked him i mean his his wind up right now is totally different than it was in high in college and high school yeah so, so i'm sorry i'm sorry coach you go you right. go okay so when Tanner when Tanner was drafted by the by the Cleveland Guardians, obviously they have a reputation with pitchers as like a mm-hmm. pitching factor with pitch with, as a pitching factory. They Correct. call it. Um, what was that like for you and like and like and Tanner to know that like they'd be in the, in the hands of such an organization that real because they really bank on pitching in terms of development. That's really where you know yeah you know, that, that's really who they are as an organization. We were we were excited one hundred percent. Couldn't couldn't believe that they were going to draft him because it was his uh his agent was telling him you know hey guardians are calling if they you know if they want you it's better to go with a team that can develop you than to go with a team that wants you to pitch now so basically you're betting your future on on being drafted you know you're you're betting on instead of trying to get drafted and get a ton of money now don't worry about that at this point go go to a team that's going to develop you make you a better pitcher and and longevity is the key so do that instead what was the what was the the signing ceremony like you know and i think now what happens is you know i basically like like all the like the class signs formally like together all at once they have like the ceremony i think in in the arizona complex uh huh. And, and the family goes down. Did you go? Did, did you did you go for that, sir? Or yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah. We were. What was, what was he that let us know what day like? he was signing, and and uh, we made it there. It was during it was during the time you know when COVID and all that kind of oh, stuff. Oh wow! Was we had to get we had to get permission to by the guardians to be able to go and do that, and and you know we had to make sure we were all vaccinated and stuff, and and uh that was you know okay with us and and we just wanted to be there we want to be there for every step of of his uh of going through this process of being a major league baseball player and hopefully he's able to do that i think that's absolutely incredible and that's very humbling because as somebody who had uh his parents <laughs> find ways to make baseball happen multiple times through the summer no matter what the cost was or transportation logistics uh, I know that that type of support is um, absolutely 110% invaluable. And I think, I think if we were to sit down with Tanner and ask him um, where he's at today, I have no doubt in my mind, uh, probably the first people he would thank is, is you guys. That's for sure. Yeah. Thanks. Appreciate that. Yeah. I, so, I believe, I believe you're right. I, I, I second that. Not... So what did Cal, so I'm obviously it looks like college scouts came to watch him in high school. So, what was the draw towards Cal State Fullerton? Um, were you guys residing in California at the time? Uh, or was it just it was close to home uh, and he liked the program? Yeah, no, we we lived in Mission Viejo at the time and he, that he went to Mission Viejo High School. So um, his travel ball coach, it was Mike Rouse. And Mike Rouse was a Cal State Fullerton player. And he basically – Turned Cal State Fullerton on to him, and uh, Tanner was actually was picked up by Cal State Fullerton by a Connie Mack game, believe it or not. And he was huh. playing a Connie Mack game, and 
Chad Baum, who was the recruiter at the time, was actually there to see somebody else. And huh. so I was coaching, I was coaching him in this game. I was in the dugout and Mike wasn't there. And um, Chad called Mike and said, dude, Bybee's in the dugout. You know, is he pitching today? And, and he's like, let me check. And so I got a text from Mike and he's like, Hey, get Bybee hot right now. And I'm like, okay. So I went to Tanner. I said, Tanner, get up, go to the bullpen. And he's like, okay, no problem. So he went up started you know warming up and and i put him in the next inning and he went out and struck out the side and the rest is history <laughs> that's that's absolutely that's awesome. awesome man yes yeah. oh that's so cool so um i i think man just that that experience is that's awesome and you know what what more could you want other than right for him to go out and give his absolute best and you know really wow the, it was great. Uh, it was great timing for sure. And absolutely. Just, Cal, he was recruited by Fullerton, Irvine, Long Beach, and uh, um, that was it. And the team that he wanted to go to the most was uh, Cal State Fullerton. And, you know, um, Jason Dietrich was the pitching coach at the time who recruited him. And then he ended up moving on to going to Oregon when Tanner went to campus and, and uh, he just loved every minute of it. We, we, we wouldn't have changed a thing. Oh, that's, wow. that's, that's beautiful. Awesome. So from the personal side, so we've talked about, you know, things that surround the game um, on like the personal side of things. What are, what are some things that maybe you guys struggled with that maybe some people don't think about? Um, these could be, you know, just only only whatever you're comfortable talking about. Obviously, you know, I don't want to make you uncomfortable. Um, but, you know, maybe some adversity that people don't think about, um, whether it's long days, uh, rough situations, injuries, anything. Um, what are some things that you guys encountered that you would tell other people to be aware of? Um, it wasn't really a problem, but we we he played multiple sports. I mean, make sure right. that they're out there playing multiple sports, make sure. Um, I think that playing multiple sports makes you a better athlete and Absolutely. You, you have to train different muscle groups and things like that to become whatever you're going to become, you know, baseball, football, basketball, whatever you, you need it. You need all of that and make sure they have rest. Right. Because that was the one thing. There was one time, one one fall where we had him play baseball and soccer and all that kind of stuff, all at the same time plus school, and it was just a little too much, you know. And that was the one mistake, and that I would say that that we had a problem with. But it was we fixed it right away, and we never did that again. But it was just because we were trying to get him to play multiple sports, you know. And and baseball, believe it or not, I think that you there's a fine line you have to you have to play but you don't have to play competitively all the time you know it's it's you could go out and play catch every single day and and get stronger and and be better for that but you don't have to go out and compete on a mound 365 and that's i think one of the big things about arms today and stuff like that is just you know travel ball you know kids going and throwing complete games and 
October and November of the year. And it's like, why, <laughs> why are you doing this? You know, it's actually so, funny that you so, mentioned that because some of the more recent stuff that's come out around like youth baseball from the science perspective is that mm -hmm. kids actually, if they're going to play a high school season and then play with like a travel AAU team in the summer, absolutely 110% right. should not be playing fall ball. Absolutely. Um, there I mean, is there's an extreme uh, portion of science right now that is leaning towards that because there is an uptick in ulnar collateral ligament injuries uh, in oh, younger yeah. kids. Um, and it's from it's from overuse. It's from, right. you know, the fact that you're still growing, still developing uh, and you can play baseball five, six months out of the year. But that doesn't mean you need to be playing, like you said, into like October or November. Um, it, it's right. OK to take that rest and focus on other things. Um, right. Because, you know, that that development is important and part of development is rest. I'm glad that you mentioned that, because I think that's and what, something that what a lot of people think what of. A, what a lot of parents should also know is that there's a lot of ways to overuse a pitcher as well. You know, I mean, it's overthrowing in the course of the year, but it's also overthrowing in a game. Right. You yes. you don't know what the damage. You know, I don't even know what the damage is. I just know that it's not good to over, you know extend a kid let's say it's 100 degrees outside and and it's in the summertime and he's out you know in arizona or whatever and he he's going into the seventh inning and he's throwing 100 pitches but you got to remember that the heat and all that kind of stuff comes into play and it's overextend take a rubber band and stretch it out you know for a long period of time it's not going to come back you know and that's how i look at you know tendons and ligaments and things like that where you know you have to stay hydrated you know taking a rubber band and dry it out it's going to snap you know yeah. it's kind of the same philosophy you know the the tendons and ligaments are your cable system and you don't uh, want to overload those because they grow a lot slower than they do muscles right um zach i have a question go ahead so mr mr baby have you had a chance to watch to watch him live this year uh when he was pitching at lake county or 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 akron have you had a chance to go out there we were we went out for Lake County for his debut, so we were there for that. And then we also were going to come watch him on the Fourth of July because he he had the Fourth of July game, and so we we took a red eye and landed on Saturday, and um, we ended up taking him to breakfast and going back to his apartment. And we were actually in his apartment when he got the phone call that he's going to Akron. Oh, oh my, my God, goodness. Awesome. What was so, that like? Yeah, we saw, we've seen, we've seen him pitch his professional, his professional debut. And then we saw him throw his first game at Akron because all that stuff was going on in Akron with the, uh, the riots and stuff when we were there and he was supposed oh, to pitch wow, on Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. So we got there on Saturday and we we're supposed to leave on Thursday. So we were going to watch him throw on Wednesday and leave Thursday. But then all of a sudden, when all that stuff went down, the 4th of July game was canceled. So because Gattis of the curfew on Wednesday, and then that pushed him to uh, Thursday. So we had to stay. We had changed yeah. all of our flights and everything. So we made sure we stayed and watched that. Yeah, we were there. What was that reaction like when he got the news that he was moving up? It's pretty awesome. I mean, I was jabber John with McKaysey. Cause that's, that was his roommate. And, and uh, that's awesome. Got, Doug, that's so cool. <laughs> Doug case is right. That's awesome. And my wife was like, Hey, you want to be quiet for a second? Because Tanner's got news. And then he told us and I'm like, Oh my God, that's so awesome. You know? So yeah, it was pretty cool. 
That's fantastic. What did you uh what did you guys think of Canal Park where the rubber ducks play? It's awesome. Great field. Yep. So nice. I, well, I mean uh, both both field both fields are nice. I love I love Classic Park because it's classic. It's old yep. and it's a great field. It's like it's in a great location too. Yeah. And I'm a I'm an old school guy. So anything old school, you know, baggy pants, any of that stuff is just awesome to me. <laughs> I uh, I don't mean to brag, but I think as Cleveland fans, we're pretty spoiled in terms of minor league parks, because even if you go down to Lynchburg, I have friends that have been down there that say it's a great ballpark. Uh, Lake County at Classic Field, the Akron Rubber Ducks at Canal Park, yeah. um, and obviously the Clippers playing at Huntington Park in downtown Columbus. I think we're pretty dang spoiled in yeah. terms of our minor yeah. league teams uh, having very nice venues to play in. That's cool. You get to watch him on the app, uh, Mr. Bybee. Like Absolutely. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. What's yeah. it like to watch that double A Akron rotation? You got, you got Gavin Williams. Obviously, you got Tanner Bybee. You've got Joey Cantillo. It, it, it's really enjoy. Like you know, really Tanner enjoy. Burns. I mean, they're, Tanner they're, Burns. they're all awesome pitchers, man. They all, they're all. God, it's amazing. It's amazing. Well, yeah. Don't forget too, Logan Allen and Xavier Curry were oh, in that yeah. rotation to start oh, yeah. the year too. In the beginning of the year, they were there. Oh yeah, that's right. Wow, that's amazing. And and did did you know that entire basically the entire draft class was was basically all pitchers, besides for uh, Fox, Jake yeah. Fox, yep. I believe. Yep. Yeah. Wow. So, Scott, if you could if you could offer any advice to kids, parents, um, kids that are playing the game, and you know that have dreams of playing professionally. Or advice to parents as they support their kids uh, through their dreams. Um, what advice or insight would you offer to them? Don't rush the process. Don't try to throw harder before you're supposed to. And just just make sure that you're doing things properly because you could go out and and pitch with, you know, wrong mechanics and all that kind of stuff and get the job done, but it doesn't mean you're doing it right. And just go out and make sure that you're, you stay healthy because it's about longevity. It's not, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And, you know, there's, there's, there's three strengths in a player's life, right? You got 13 to 16, that's boy strength. You've got 16 to about 22. That's puberty power. And then anything <laughs> after that is man strength. Don't worry. Don't worry about velocity until you're in your man strength. Worry Learn about the mechanics. Right. Worry about mechanics first. Tom House is a huge, I, he's, he's, he's the best, right? And so he, I, I basically, even when I was in high school, I, I'm not sure how my high school coach knew Tom house or if they knew each other at all, but we were using the stuff back then that they have now. It's just more advanced because of technology and stuff like that. Like, you know, like Jager bands, you know, Alan Jager and, and how he developed his uh, Jager bands and stuff. We were using that stuff in the eighties. We went to a, you know, a, a medical supply store and bought surgical tubing and we tied a knot in the end of it and tied it to a fence. And we were using that stuff back then, you know, so it's just, just make sure you don't rush the process and make sure that you, uh, 
you, you stay with your, your checkpoints and goals as you get bigger and stronger. Don't Absolutely. Yeah. I think that, I think that advice is invaluable because I know personally from somebody that played as a kid, uh, it was always, you know, among us boys talking, <laughs> talking amongst ourselves, Oh, who can throw, who can throw the biggest, baddest pitch? You know, we can all throw a fastball right. and a changeup. Uh, you know, who can throw something that's got a little bit of zip on it. And uh, uh, we had been busted multiple times <laughs> at practice, messing around with stuff that we shouldn't and had to be reminded that will come. Like there will come right. a time when you guys can do that stuff. You need to learn how to throw these first because you need to develop the muscles that let you throw the other things. Right. And, and it, just, take, you it takes trust time, that time. You know? And don't, don't rush. If you, if you're doing like weighted ball programs and things like that, don't rush the process, do them correctly because you can really damage yourself. You know, um, Tom house was part of a national pitchers association. I'm not sure if he still is or not, but I don't know if you guys know who Steve Delabars is. I have never heard of him. Okay. So look him up. You'll be shocked. He was a pitcher that blew his elbow up. So horrifically that he had to they had to surgically repair it with like screws and things like that and tom house developed the throwing program with weighted balls for this guy and he ended up pitching for the blue jays and becoming an all-star wow yeah. so he i mean it's an amazing story and and i was like well okay let's take that program and strengthen kids with it. If it's going to rehab guys, you know what I mean? So if you, if you're in into ball programs and things like that, just make sure you follow them to a T and don't like shortcut anything. Absolutely. Wow. I think that advice is, that advice is 110% invaluable, especially with what we talked about earlier, you know, with the evolution of kids being able to play baseball more and more throughout the year, um, yeah. you know, how, knowing how to take care of yourself uh, and keep yourself healthy with programs that keep up your strength, that recondition your muscles. Uh, recovery is just as important as the work that you put in. Absolutely. Um, and yeah. I think you see that, I think you see that uh, exhibited in major league pitchers. Uh, yeah. I think it's, it's absolutely fascinating to watch um, the way that those guys like there's a reason that most rotations are so strict around that five man rotation. It's uh -huh. because guys, when they come off of a start, uh, they have a recovery plan, you know, three days after the start, you know, it all recovery. And then yep. usually they'll throw a light throw in game before yeah. their start. And then that gets the muscles loose. And then they have a whole, whatever their routine is to go through on their start day. Yep. And that's and just when you, as important. And when, and, and when that pitchers are so reliant on their routines, when, when their routine gets interrupted, it affects them that day. So you'll see a pitcher struggle on a certain day. It's like, well, what happened with his routine? You know, and that's because pitchers are going to struggle, but there's going to be a reason why. There's always a reason why a pitcher yep. struggles. The game is just as much mental as it is physical too. Right. That's definitely um, true. Being, being thrown off of that routine can, can do things. And I think that's why, uh, you know, like in Cleveland's situation right now, uh, where they're juggling this pitching bonanza at the major league uh, level, 
Uh, it's because throwing guys on short rest, it messes with their mentals and it messes with their recovery cycle. Right. So, right. you know, Cleveland threw a bullpen game today versus the Rays, uh, somehow squeezed out a win against uh, Shane McClanahan. That was incredible. But that's why you see teams Ooh. so hesitant to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's why they're so willing to do it for the playoffs is because it's just that short, that short glimpse in time. And then when the playoffs is over, you go into your offseason recovery plan. But even then, you see guys that pitch on short rest. I think of Corey Kluber in the 2016 uh, postseason yeah. run. I, I'm By his second start in the World Series, he was done. Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of – I'm really not a fan of pitchers pitching on short rest. I never was. I hate it. Well, the, the, the one thing also I could add to that is how many times have you seen guys come that are starters that try to come out of the bullpen to win big games and it just doesn't work out? Yeah, I think I'm there's one that. exception in my lifetime to where that worked out, and that's because he was a freak of nature. That was Randy Johnson in I was the 1995. Say Randy, Johnson. Randy yep. Johnson in the 95 ALDS. And mind you, I was only three years old. So I the only Madison, story is Madison that I, Bumgarner. Madison Bumgarner. Yep, pitch. Mad Bum. Yeah. You don't see it ha- very effective all the time. But I'd like to. I'd like to look back on their their uh, see, like with Tanner, he actually even. Going into high school, we had him as as relief at first, and then he worked his way into starting. Wow! And then he went to Fullerton. They started him off at first as a starter, and then they're like, "Okay, uh, let's put him in the pen." And he started like doing relief in the pen, and then they put him back as a starter. So it would be interesting to see if those guys ever had that kind of experience. And like in their lives at all to know how to come out of the pen, right? Did did um did Tanner always have a four pitch mix? Because uh, right, he usually you know very, his fastball. He obviously show, shows the fastball, but you know curveball, slider, changeup. Did he always have like a legit four pitch mix? In high school, he had he was started dabbling with the changeup in high school, but he had a, a curveball slider chain a curveball slider. Fastball in high school, dabbled with the changeup, and then he started getting the changeup more and more in Fullerton. So, and, and the command was always there. That's what makes him so unique. His command is, is incredible. Yeah, it's so cool to watch him pitch. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. let me let me ask you this: Do you? I I know what my answer to this is as a fan because Chuck and I immerse ourselves in uh, prospects in the farm system. Do you see him making the majors with Cleveland? Uh, I hope so. I mean, I, I'm we're we're very, very loyal family, very loyal people, and it's like it would be very disappointing to see if he doesn't. You know what I mean? But yeah. at the same time, I mean, hey, the ultimate goal is to make the majors, no matter what. You know, so they, uh, I. It, that's a hard question to answer because I don't know the inner workings of what Cleveland's doing. With oh, like none of us have a crystal ball like too. Yeah. 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 So I'm going mean, to speak for me and Zach. Hell yeah. He's making, yeah, he's absolutely. Making dude. <laughs> absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it's just yeah. hard to say. I mean, cause when you, when you have players and you have to value them and stuff like that, yeah, and in like, all, prof- all professional dang- sports that, you know, it is, there is a business side of it, yep. but you know, but Tanner's he's he's an incredible you know you should be really proud sir he's an incredible pitcher and incredible thank prospect you. thank incredible. you yeah and we're 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 glad we're lucky to have him 
uh, to watch as Cleveland fans. And uh, I, I, I really appreciate you coming on and talking with us. Um, it's it's super to... humbling for me because I always love hearing people's perspectives on things. Uh, and just you, sir, have the gift of being very knowledgeable and uh, very smart on oh. things that surround baseball. And I thank you for sharing that with us. Sure. Yeah, thank I, you so much. I'm just, I'm also really happy to double it, uh, Akron because I used to freak out during Lake County games because my stream wouldn't work for the app sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, and but here's the thing though, even though too, like if it's frustrating watching minor league games because whoever the feed is from the home team. And right. I oh, like to think that Cleveland, though. I like to think yeah. that Cleveland teams do a pretty good job. Mm-hmm. with their broadcast it, stuff yeah when they play other teams man sometimes <laughs> it's rough the yeah. drag the dragons have a great feed yes so my parents uh my parents actually live in dayton so when my wife and i travel home um we stay with my parents in dayton uh and my dad actually went out to see lake county uh play the dragons earlier this year i forget who he said was pitching um, but you're right. The dragons do have a very good broadcast team. Um, unfortunately, I don't think everybody can say that. Right. Uh, but I think as far as Cleveland is concerned, uh, we're pretty lucky that we have the guys, uh, doing the production that we do. Do you watch, do you watch any of, do you watch the guardians play sometimes, Mr. Bybee or? Oh yeah. I have the MLB app and I, I, I just watched them today. So yeah, I, I, it's pretty funny because as, as you go up levels and play like, you know, Cape Cod and all that kind of stuff, you know, all the players, you know, and they, Oh, Tanner, like Tanner and Darren Baker were teammates on uh, the Warren Gateman. So That's awesome. Like, I was, we were watching, you know, watching Harrisburg and, and watching Darren and stuff like that. And, and uh, there's a bunch, there's a bunch of guys and it, baseball is such a small community now, you know, as the, t- the further you get up there, it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And, and you start watching teams that, you know, Tanner's played against or played with, and it gets, it, it's pretty awesome to watch the certain uh, players make that's, it. That's a level. cool, that's a cool perspective also because Tanner probably either competed with or against rather it be in high school, college yep. or, right. or professional or even at the, or, or got to know him at the, at the, at the combine or, or Cape right. Cod or any of these levels. That, that's really cool. Here's a here's a here's a fun fact that you guys would like as well. Milan Tolentino and mm-hmm. Tanner Bybee both played in the same little league. That's what? awesome. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's he's just a testament. Great, that's just a testament year. to the fact right there. Yeah. He's having an incredible Milan Tolentino's having an incredible year. He's yes. a great hitter. His his dad's a great coach and he's a great yeah. hitter. You know. Incre- incredible he, he he's a gold he's a he's a gold glove caliber player with and that and that bat is really growing he's an incredible yeah. player yeah wow it's fun it, to watch uh, if there's one thing that cleveland has done well in the time that we've been doing this show i've learned it's uh they love solid middle infield guys mm-hmm. uh and they develop great pitching yeah well, the, there's the two key, facts the key to playing having a good team is up the middle Good catcher, good pitcher, shortstop second, and center fielder. And you can live with subpar defense on the corners if they can hit. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's it. Yep. And you see that as an organizational doctrine for Cleveland, really. I mean, Jose Ramirez is kind of an exception. You know, he plays above average defense, and he switch hits very well from both sides. 
Right. Um, but like in the corner outfield, most teams are willing to live with either average or under average defense uh, if the bat uh, plays well in the lineup. I love Austin Hedges, Zach, but uh, we know we know <laughs> we know where this is going. Man, we, we ain't gonna talk about that. We still got well, other pot. We hey, still got, got other a, stuff. Got, hey, you got a big hit today. <laughs> he did. He did. I love Hedgy, man. He's he's going to be a great coach someday. Well, to go to go back to uh, you guys asking about Tanner going, you know, making it to the bigs in Cleveland. I have a scenario that would work. That would be pretty fun. All right. Let's hear it. uh, There's nobody. I feel like there's nobody. You know how how baseball works for the situation than you. Okay, so the, the scenario is how baseball works is like the coincidence of things like, you know, the like let's say like a ken griffey jr and his dad playing together you know and that's a great thing so um 2015 tanner and patrick sandoval both won the cif which is the biggest thing in high schools in the area to win and sandoval he's a pitcher for the angels angels yeah right so lefty my 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 dream would be the coolest thing ever would be that Tanner makes his major league debut in angel stadium, which is like 20 minutes away from us against Patrick Sandoval. <laughs> uh, that would be that awesome. He pitched a gem against us early in the year. Zach, that yeah. was the game where we were, you know, having batting practice, you know, Mike Trout and Taylor Ward were killing us at 12, yep. at 12 o'clock at night, at 12 o'clock at night. And we're all staying up for it. Yeah. Um, that, that was that game. <laughs> Uh, well, I hope, I hope Tanner gets a chance with Cleveland. It's like Chuck said, unfortunately, as fans, there is a business side of baseball sometimes. And, um, it's no, it's no little known fact, uh, that Cleveland's farm pitching depth, uh, is very deep. Yeah. But we, he, Tanner, Tanner's having such a great year. He's not, you know, you know, on prospects like they, they, like nowadays that we have like you know they have like this you know the prospect rankings, right? And he's gonna he's gonna fly up the board. Like they just added him to Major League Baseball's top thirty for Cleveland because they don't really they don't really update it in season. They just add guys who who make the third top thirty, but they don't really go in an order. He's gonna he's 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 probably gonna be a top a, a top ten prospect by the end of the season. In Which my is opinion, crazy my, because my there's personal, in my opinion, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's crazy too because if you think about that, like five of the top ten pitch, five of the top ten players in Cleveland's top ten in yeah. terms of prospects will all be pitchers. Yeah. yeah. Do, do you follow? Do you follow that stuff too, uh, Mr. Bybee? Like, do you follow like the the, the the system and 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 the draft class and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. I, I look at all that stuff, but it's all you know. That's just, so cool. I I think it's just. Uh, I guess eye candy, you know, cause yeah. it's, it's like, it's like analytics and, and coaches, you know, they yeah. work together. You know, eye candy. It, that's, that's, that's a great term. Eye candy. Yeah. <laughs> well, do you, do you, do you talk to him after every start or between, and, and I'm sure between starts, obviously. Yeah. I mean, we not, not right after because the games are, you know, they get out so late and by the time he gets home, it's 1130 at night, you know, Hey, get some sleep, get some you know rest or whatever. But we usually talk to him either the next day or the, you know, whenever he has time for sure. Well, Chuck, I don't have anything else for Mr. Bybee unless you do Scott. I really appreciate you coming on and talking with us. Um, I am absolutely blown away by just the incredible depth and perspective that you have and, 
you know, willingness to really come, cool. willingness this to come awesome. talk ball with just two regular guys. You know, Chuck and I always say we're not reporters. We're yeah. just we're not fans even of the close. game. Yep, oh, yeah, we're yeah. just fans of the game. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for having me, man. I I really enjoyed it. It's fun. One Absolutely. last question. I, I I had this debate earlier in the year. Was it? Do you pronounce? Is the is the last name? Is it, it wasn't? It's not BB. It's Bybee, right? That is correct. Yeah. Okay. It's Bybee. Yeah. It is Bybee. Yeah. All right. You heard it straight from him, folks. Scott Bybee. <laughs> it's a lot of because uh, a lot of fans. It's it's read sometimes. A lot of fans sometimes read it BB. I say it's yep. Bybee. Yeah. You heard it. But, uh, you heard it straight here from Mr. Bybee himself. It is yeah. Bybee. Scott. Mr. Bybee, thank you so much. Thank for you so really much, man. Incredible. You got it, man. Thank you so much for having me. As you guys can tell, Chuck and I were really in awe of just Scott's incredible brain and his heart and mind for the game of baseball. Uh, there was a lot of listening that was done during that interview. Super humbled that he would come on and talk with us, and I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as we did. I'm going to take a second to tell you about our sponsor for today. It's going to be Underdog Fantasy. When you sign up on underdogfantasy.com or in the App Store with code 216, you can get your first deposit matched up to $100. Underdog is by far the best place to play daily fantasy sports. If you're like me and you like baseball, uh, I like testing my baseball brain. Their daily baseball drafts are pretty sweet. All you do is, depending on the size, you know, I play the six-player drafts, so I draft a pitcher, two outfielders, two infielders, and a flex, and I try to get the most points uh, per night. I'm a pretty big pitching matchup guy, so that's what I use. You can play it and use your gut. Uh, I'll be doing some private drafts uh, as time goes on uh, for you know us to kind of test our baseball knowledge against each other. And you guys should definitely come play because there's a good chance that you guys are probably smarter than me when it comes to baseball. Uh, as much as I eat, sleep, and breathe baseball, I know there's always people out there smarter than me. Come win some cash from Underdog. It is the best place to play daily fantasy sports. Remember, go to underdogfantasy.com, download the app in the App Store, Sign up using code 216 and get your first deposit matched up to $100. Easy peasy, man. I love daily fantasy stuff, and I legitimately mean that. Like, underdog fantasy, like, it, they make it so simple. Um, other daily fantasy sites, they have crazy contests where there's crazy rules and stipulations. Underdog simplifies all that, man. You want to draft uh, your players, or if you're you know fantasy football player, Uh, You just draft your team, try to get the most points each week. Or if you do the daily baseball drafts, you want to try to get the most points each night. So that being said, uh, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over. Uh, Chuck and I did recap from the Rays series and mailbag. So on with the show. You see my questions? All right, ladies and gentlemen, we have now come to the part of the podcast where we're going to talk about Guardians baseball. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you will have just wrapped up Chuck and I's interview with Scott Bybee. Uh, Scott is Tanner Bybee's dad. Tanner's a pitching prospect in Cleveland's organization for currently for the AA Akron Rubber Ducks. And uh, Chuck and I were just talking before I started recording this segment, uh, both absolutely humbled uh, that Scott would come on and talk ball with us. He is so, so, so smart and so willing to share uh, his knowledge of the game as somebody that played and was drafted himself and then watched his son grow up and play at Cal State Fullerton uh, and then be drafted. Could not be more thankful for that. But that was, that was incredible stuff. Yes, absolutely. Stuff, incredible stuff. Really cool yep. to hear. And there's there's a reason that I, I put the interview first in the podcast is because I think it was really good. But we got some baseball to talk. Uh, how about the guards? 
Taking two out of three from the Rays. We're going to jump straight into it. We're going to go to Friday night's game. Uh, guards win four to one. And uh, Chuck and I are up against a time crunch, so we're going to try to keep this concise. Guards win four one. Beavs gets the dub. A lot of really good offense by Cleveland in this game. We're down one nothing early. Rays put up a crooked number in the first frame. Guards would come back and score one in the fourth, two in the fifth, and then get a very nice insurance run in the seventh. Final line for Cleveland, four runs on eight hits, no errors. Tampa Bay, one run on six hits, no errors. And I think the highlight of this game was definitely Bieber after that first inning. Uh, yeah. He was just, you know, he was lights out, man. Yeah, we, I was a little worried um, at, in the first inning. Uh, you know, G-Man Choi, uh, you know, singles on a line drive the center. So, you know, we're down one nothing, and then it was still, I think it was maybe first and third, or no, I think it was first and second. So I think it was maybe one out, I think first and second. Then he, he got the strikeout, and then he made his pitch. So then right out of the gate, we're worried about that. And then the offense picked him up. Uh, Andres Jimenez, uh, you know, gets a, got a nice-looking double in the gap. That was really nice. And then Jose Ramirez, that was a sight. That was really nice to see. Um, he's looking. He's looking really good. Looked really good in this series. Um, yeah, and he hit a. He hit the two run homer, and then the bullpen shut it down. Out, but that that that's a key for this team. Uh, Jose Ramirez. Was, of course. You no, know, he's he's on his game. You know. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. The bullpen also got it done. Stefan came in and was money. He got the hold. He pitched the eighth inning. Struck out two. No hits. No walks. And of course, the best closer in the game of baseball. Suck it, Yankees fans. Emmanuel Classe comes in, slams the door, gave up a hit, uh, struck out. Total, 11 strikeouts for the Guardians. The only two walks were issued by Bieber, and y'all know how I feel about that. When you limit free base runners, uh, usually good things happen. Um, yeah, we, we needed that. It was absolutely, nice especially a nice, a nice offensive showing for Bieber. Uh, he got into that jam in the first inning and got out of it and limited the damage. And after that, his curveball and slider were mwah, money. Yeah, so this is, you know, we're trying to live with the new normal of the pitcher Bieber is. His velocity is still not there, but, you know, he's he, that that was he can he's he can pitch, you know, Absolutely, when that slider man. he can curve, sling it when that slider knuckle curve are working. It's it's so beautiful to watch. And. Trevor Stephan, you know, I tweeted this today. He's he's throwing with conviction. He's throwing with confidence. Throwing with authority. Yeah, it's he's you know he's now he's really the setup man for class. I mentioned this to you, Zach. He it's it's very important for him so they can use Morgan any role they want out of the bullpen. So Stephan's really been good at that splitter along with that fastball high nineties. That, that's really it's really looking good in class A's. Zach, he's really cementing himself as the best best closer in baseball. How about his command really coming around in like the last couple of weeks? He has just been painting corners with that cutter. Yeah, that, that's what makes him special. You know, obviously the the raw stuff is insane. Oh, the straight like, velocity is like, enough by itself. Yeah, but when you command it like the way he does, he's like, he doesn't walk anybody. He, he, no. he, it, that's what's really cool about him. Save for when he walked Aaron Judge when the Yankees came to Cleveland. That's the only time I can think that he's walked anybody recently uh, was when he walked Aaron Judge and that save that he got when the Yankees were in Cleveland. And that was a while ago. 
uh, for anybody keeping track. Lots of good from this game. Quan again goes three for five in the leadoff spot. He is still batting 300. Uh, Rosario was one for four with a walk. Ramirez went two for four. Miller was one for four with a double. Uh, Franmil continues to struggle. He was 0 for three. He did not strike out. Uh, he was later replaced by Alex Call. Kimi looked good. Uh, Jimenez went one for four with a double. Uh, Clement, uh, just not even gonna gonna go there. Um, and then Hedges was 0 for three with walking a strikeout. So pretty much the top mm, third of slightly more than third of your lineup, uh, getting it done, and that's what you want. That is what you expect from your lineup. No Josh Naylor in this game. Um, he is he, just a note on Naylor. He is feeling a lot better. He was actually available to pinch hit today. They're just going to check him out tomorrow. But he sure should he's be okay. available tomorrow. Yeah, but they should, yeah, they, he should be available tomorrow. That's that's the word. Yep. So anybody who's not tracking, uh, the news is Josh Naylor was scratched. He was having some ankle numbness, uh, which that's not good. That's uh, not good at all. For that type of injury, that's an indication of nerve damage, uh, and that's not what you want. So Josh is going to get checked out uh, by his specialist on Monday morning when the team returns to Cleveland. Uh, provided that he gets the all clear and nothing is weird, he should be available in the lineup card Monday. And I hope Naylor can get and stay healthy because uh, it sucks seeing a guy like him that is just so, so good on the field just struggle uh, and continue to recover. But um, I think it's an incredible testament to his personality and just that dog that he has in him that all of us say. And I think you really see that, you know, look at all the stuff he's battled through this year. Um, you know, he didn't look comfortable playing the game in like the first month. Actually, I'd say the first two months of the season. He looked extremely uncomfortable running around the base pass. He looks a lot better now. Uh, yeah. He's looked a lot better swinging in the batter's box. And the big thing now is He's battled through back spasms and his ankle going completely numb. Uh, that can be pretty discouraging for a player coming off an injury, but Naylor's, uh, he's got that, that grit uh, and he's going to push through and get it done. So hopefully good news tomorrow morning. Um, you guys may have to sift through to find that news because <laughs> newsflash, the Deshaun Watson ruling is expected in the morning. Oh yeah. Uh, around uh, you know what? I'm not even going to listen. I'm trying. I may mute Deshaun I'm, Watson's. Name I'm gonna tomorrow. have to mute Twitter entirely because Twitter is gonna blow up. Um, yeah. So you guys may really have to fun. sift through that. The people you're gonna want to watch on that are gonna be Zach Mizell and Andy Bell. Uh, Chuck, do you have anything else from this game? I thought it was pretty, uh, pretty cool that we beat up on the pitcher that refused to wear the LGBTQ patch when the Rays <laughs> did their Pride Night. Yeah. Um, I'm just really happy that. Oh, this team needs Bieber for going anywhere, you know. Yep. So, I think yeah. he cemented himself as untradeable at least this year. If you want to try yeah. to compete, yeah, yeah, it's just this team is going nowhere if Bieber isn't without him. Yeah, yep. It's and the, I think I think people Ramirez like him also. just got more valuable because we all saw what the Mariners paid for eighteen months of Luis Castillo. Uh, they gave yeah. three of their organization's top five prospects, which is yeah, absolutely insane. We all, Zach, do you know that Luis Castillo grew up with Jose Ramirez and Bonnie, Bonnie, Dominican Republic? I did not know that. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? That is cool. But, um, well, it's like, no. uh, it's like Mr. Bybee said, it does get to be a small world. Yeah. So it, it's, it's, I'm not worried about Jose Ramirez, but it's just not, he just doesn't look like that guy he did in the first half for whatever reason. 
but it's he's been picking it up as of late. So this, that's really nice to see as well. I just want to put that in there. Absolutely. All right, on, on the game two. Game one, on to game two. We're moving. So this because... was a cool game for me. Um, even though it was you know, a loss. It was a loss. I was very upset about it. But it was just, it was so cool to watch Corey Kluber. Um, uh, even though it was against us. Yeah. It's just this stuff was so cool. Uh, we all loved him when he was on Cleveland. He was just a man. I don't think was, I missed. In the words of Rick Manning, he was chucking a frisbee. Man, his breaking stuff was on the money. Pitching Ninja was uh, nuts on his yes, stuff. Yes, sir. Um, he threw some. He threw a ridiculous. I don't know what it was—a slider or a slurve to Jimenez that just catches the corner, and then he threw a ridiculous-looking pitch to Ahmed Rosario that he chased out of the zone. It just um, disappeared off the screen almost. Yeah, but he, you know, the velocity is, you know, it's obviously not what he, obviously he's not the same pitcher he once was. Yeah, he had a lot of injuries. Um, but it's not, it's just nice to see him pitching a full season healthy and can, and Absolutely. just, yeah, that um, was, I, I was happy to see because we loved Kluber. He, yep. he, we forget how great he was, but he was how, how quickly we forget just not yeah. so long ago. Um, yeah. So your guards lose this one, uh, four to six. Cleveland's final line, four runs on eleven hits, no errors. Lots of offense in this game. Uh, Tampa's final line, six runs, ten hits, no errors. Uh, big one for me in this game. Andres Jimenez just continues to impress with his pop. He had the big three-run home run that kind of put Cleveland back in it in the sixth inning. That was off of Kluber. It was off a fastball that was elevated. Kimi went out and got it. Uh, plunked it over the right center field fence, and uh, that's that that's a, a long way from that's a long way from home plate, folks. And he didn't the just nuke. clear the wall; he was mm, 10, 12 rows up the bleachers at the trap. Yeah, that was a nuke. Yes, it was absolutely crushed, barreled it, absolutely no doubt. Ramirez doubled in this game; that's his thirty fourth of the year. Quan doubled. Jimenez also got a double. Uh, so lots of good offense. Just you know, um, unfortunately. Uh, the pitching gave up too many runs for four to be enough. And I think I, I tweeted it out and I still stand by this. I have never seen Zach Plesak throw a game where you could see his ceiling and his floor in the same outing. He pitched five innings, gave up seven hits and five runs, which is that's bad. But he walked two and struck out seven. And when he struck out the seven, he looked very good. Um Unfortunately, he continues to struggle with command. He gave up the home run to Brandon Lau, uh, and he gave up the home run to none other than, of course, Yandy Diaz. Um, yeah, both ugly, both two ugly. run homers and both with two outs. Yeah, ugly line from Plesak. Seven hits, Zach. All over the place. Uh, yeah. Uh, five earned runs, two walks, but it's just... Uh, he, he, it's just when he gets base runners, it's just it, it just doesn't go well. Um, it's just frustrating to watch, and that's what really annoys me. I feel like Brandon Lau always hits a home run against us. Also, um, I, I thought, did you think we would win this game when when him and us hit the home run? I thought we had. Did you think we had a good chance at it? Um, I thought that there might have been that spark, but I also kind of felt. Like it was up to the bullpen to keep it a one run game and they didn't. 
because De Los yeah. Santos came in and gave up the extra run. Yeah, he gave up one, yeah. I thought that kind of put it out of reach just a little bit for as late as it was. But at the time when Jimenez hit the home run, um, well, I did feel like the game was winnable, especially with Tampa Bay's bullpen. Zach, this rotation has a problem. You know, they, we can, we're just used to having great pitching in Cleveland, but Zach, he, this rotation has not been good the last, like, you know, the last few, few times out. And the rotation ERA is getting up there. Police acts getting got bombed. It's just, it's just not, you know, Quantrill got bombed in Boston. It's just, it's, it's, this rotation has not been that good, Zach. No, it hasn't. It hasn't. Well, it's and, like I, it's like I said, and I stand by this statement too. Three fifths of our starting pitching does not make a major league team out of camp sixty five percent of the time. Yeah, it's just, it's just worrisome. Yep. Um. So I'm getting nervous. It was nice to see that, that was um, Henches. That was the best I've seen him in the bullpen this year. Hey, look, I thought he it, pitched an inning in two thirds of shot. Well, his out three. stuff, his fastball was electric. His curveball was also very well rusted. Yeah, as as so, I mentioned this on the show to you, Zach. He's new to the bullpen. He was pitching yeah. like six times in ten days. That's not. That's just not going to work. Nobody can do that. No. So, especially for a, he's still a young pitcher. You know, and he had Tommy John, so he had a lot of stuff going on in his career early, and he's he, he's been he's an important piece of this bullpen. You know, he's a left-handed pitcher out of the bullpen, so he's an important piece. But Zach, I'm getting worried about the rotation again. I'm just this isn't good. I don't know what they're gonna do. Uh, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll theorize about it a little bit. Later. Owen yep. Miller got hit on on a, in an awkward spot. Got hit in the el- on the on the el- in the elbow. It looked like, and he left kind the game. Of glanced off of him. Yeah, and he left the game, and he and he goes in the lineup today, and he got scratched. So that tells you that you know he's not he's 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 bang really banged up. Um, again, Jose looked good again, two for five, two uh had not, two doubles, and yeah, uh, that's pretty much that's pretty much where I'm at. Straw Straw looks Straw looks better, and he is a great center fielder. I think he he should win the the gold glove in center field. That's just me. I'm 110% with you. And that was re-solidified today. Zach? He made another fantastic catch. You still hear me? Who, yeah. Zach, who makes a decision on what makes a center fielder win the gold glove? Like, what, what does it go by? Who has the best? Uh, VR? It's, you know, the I want to say it's, uh, fielding percentage is such an arbitrary metric because it doesn't matter. All of those awards are voted on by the idiot baseball writers of America. Um, and those clowns have continued to solidify themselves as non-legitimate. So if Miles wins a gold glove, cool. If he doesn't, cool. No, he's a gold, I, I just he's think a gold he's glove center it. fielder in my I absolutely agree. The problem is this is the same organization that has blatantly ignored obvious Hall of Famers. Uh, because they didn't like the way the guy played the game or they felt like certain stats didn't matter. They're all idiots. The awards are all made up. It doesn't matter. Miles Straw is a gold glove center fielder, whether he wins the freaking thing or not. Period. Right. There is nobody that has a better ultimate zone rating for you stat heads out there or defensive runs saved at center field this year than Miles Straw. So to the Baseball Writers Association of America, suck it. That's all I have to say about that. I'm still uh, pissed about this year's Hall of Fame vote. Me too. I'm very upset. <laughs> but it just it doesn't matter. We never, we never he's spoke. he's a gold glover to me. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, we never spoke about that, Zach, because we weren't 
No, you know, we and we don't, we, we don't have, a, we don't have enough time yet. to get into that tonight either. I, I was very upset too, don't worry. Yeah, so that, that should give you guys an idea how we feel about the Baseball Writers Association of America. They're all idiots, um, except for some of them that are transparent, that do post how they vote. Except for no, those okay, that I, posted I just, empty no, I just wish that Strong gets that recognition because that's really the part of his game. Absolutely, and I think at. he will. It's just, it's just the, it's just the part that people don't really care about. All people care about is you know a slash line or, or you know, no, and yeah, it's important. That, but that Gold Glove's it, important. Yeah, it, it's it, that's really a big part of his game, and I just hope he gets the net recognition for that because that's Zach. That's the only recognition you get as a defensive player. Really. Absolutely. Yeah. So for this game, I don't think we really have anything else. Um, yeah, so in I terms of like in your lineup card, Hemi was two for four with three RBIs. Juan was one for five. Ramirez was two for five. Uh, the rest of the lineup card, not so appetizing. Nolan Jones did look good. Um, he got a single. Uh, it's good to see him continue to put the bat on the ball. Uh, he continues to just do really well against pitching, which that's the best part of his grade is his hit tool. Um, he ate minor league pitching throughout his entire minor league career, and he's continued to do that. So it's good to see him continue to solidify his role in this team in the corner outfield spot uh, from the left-handed side of the plate. Fran Mill got a hit. Uh, he did strike out once. I get sad watching him hit, Zach. He's I not know. ready. The, the, the slugging just isn't there. It's just nope. not there. I don't and, know what happened. It's well, just and sad. he's proven that he can hit because he went to Columbus for a week and batted 600 and absolutely destroyed uh, minor league pitching. So it's just you got to have him in the lineup. He's got to see it and he's got to work on it because putting him against lower competition is clearly not the answer. Um, I'm good on this game. If you're good to move on to game three and then we can wrap the series and move on to game mailbag. three is really the the game to talk about and this is mwah, the creme it, de la creme of the series just, right here i have so many reasons to talk about this so we're, we're talking about game we're on game three right yep um so you go into a game you look at the pitching matchup right it's shane mcclanahan the front runner of the wins al cy young versus brian shaw so you say to yourself we have no chance we have no chance at this it's over and right out of the gate, I'm just saying to myself, I want just just get out, of, just give me a competitive game, right, Zach? You know what I'm saying? Like before every game, before like every series or every game, you look at a pitching matchup right away at the, you know, at the, at the, on the surface of it, you just say to yourself, okay, we have a chance, good chance of winning this, good chance of winning that. So you know, you wake up, it's 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 Shane McClanahan, you know, versus Brian versus Schultz. the newly found Cleveland opener, baby. Versus Brian Shaw, which I still hate. Um, and so you're saying we have no chance of winning this game. That's what that's literally what we're saying. So right out of the gate, it's literally right out of the gate. It's the first inning, and and I'm just and Quan lays down a bunt, right? He gets on. I mean Rosario slaps one and slaps one. I'm saying to myself, hmm, you know, this is not bad. You know, it's interesting, too, because so it came out after the game that Quan's bunt was by design. Yeah, so it came out. He had a great game, too. Um, yeah, so we didn't get anything in that first inning. I was I was so upset at, at that we didn't get anything. Because when you have runners on, you got to get them. First McClanahan. He's not going to mess up, right? So then <laughs> then it's, you know, Fr- Franmel, Franmel got a, got a got a nice liner. 
Uh, I think Jimenez got a walk, if I'm not mistaken, and and Alex Call had a great game. He had a gr- he had a great game, and I was I was really happy to see. Um, he looked he looked the part on defense, but he had some great at bats. He worked a great worked a great walk for some clan in that in that second inning, and then basically what happens is I'm trying to I'm trying to get my my scorecard here. So call walked, <clears throat> Clement yeah, so, singled. So oh, so, so then Clements then basically what happens is. So Clement singles, it's I think it's like it's either bases loaded. No, no, it's it's there's two runners on, and Miles Straw had a beauty has a beauty single. It scores two, yeah, and, yeah. and then and then don't forget Hedges was hit by a pitch, so the bases were loaded. Oh, so yeah, so bases were loaded. So, okay, so then I uh, then I think Quan gets out. Yeah, Quan lined out. out. So then it's two outs, and Jose's up, and then you wanted you wanted three. You really wanted three out of that, you know. And then Jose Ramirez has a beautiful, beautiful uh, ground ball to left field to David Peralta. It was going to be a big get for Tampa. I, oh, I, yeah. Before before the season started, I was hoping Cleveland trade for him. Uh, I, I had my eyes on him. Great, great hitter, le- uh, left-handed, left-handed outfielder. Hits righties beautifully. Um, I, I've always been a big fan of his career. So it's 3-0. Then Brian Shaw comes out on, onto the field. Um, you know, Zach, uh, you know, my Sunday routine, I'm eating, I'm having my lunch during the game, Brian Shaw, he, I think he gets out the first hitter and what if Brian Shaw walks a lot of hitters, Zach, for a reliever he does. Um, and, it's, and it's really annoying. It's like an upsetting at the same time. So Shaw starts to walk the, the, the ballpark Then I'm, I, I'm, sc- I'm screaming at my television. You can't do this against Shane McClanahan. You just can't, right? So then I don't know what happens. What, what was a weird play at third base? Somebody steals a base. Um, I think I mean, it was a, somebody. I don't know what happens, but then it was like an error on on Hedges. They throw the ball to Jose. So then it's one nothing, and then it's then it's a sack fly. Yu Chang scores. So it was really nice to see him play the part in this uh, for his team. You know, you just wish, even if they're not on your team, you just you just you wish them to be successful. You want them to be successful. Then uh, Yu Chang, I believe, scores on a sack fly, and then it's, it's three to two. So we just right away just give it away. You give away the two the, the three nothing lead, right, Zach? Yeah. Can't do that. And so, uh, Zach. Well, and you know what though, I really didn't think that was a bad, like it was a bad two innings for Shaw. I mean, like. Honestly, like it could have been far worse. So I saw your tweet, Zach. I, ah, look. Why does it have to be Brian Shaw as an opener? Why can't it be De Los Santos? Why can't it be Garinchak, Sandlin? Why does it have to be Brian Shaw? Any any reliever, but it has to be Brian Shaw. You want to know the weird thing too? This is the second time in a week that the club has thrown a bullpen game that features Shaw as the opener and McCarty as the innings eater and McCarty it, got the it, win. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. But, but Zach, just explain to me the Brian Shaw thing. His stuff, his stuff is not good anymore. He doesn't, his, his command is goes away after an inning. Why Brian Shaw? Why him? 
Why not Delos Santos? I think it's That's because they don't want to mess with the psyche of any of the younger guys. Shaw's has been around the longest oh, and he's the most venerable. Zach, any game where Brian Shaw throws 40 pitches is just absurd. I um, agree. I'm, I'm not saying you're wrong because you're not. So then, so, so Shaw's final line is two innings, two hits, two earned runs. I was really upset about the two earned runs. I thought it was very, very avoidable, but Shaw just kept putting guys on base. He did walk three batters in two innings. It's just ridiculous. And his ERA is all the way up to 5.63. Not good. So then Karen Chat comes in. He's looked good, by the way. Yes. Uh, uh, he, he looked really good. And then we're back. We're back on offense. So this was this made me really happy. Um, it's it's tie game for a little bit. McCarty got in a dicey spot. And McCarty comes on. He holds. He holds the runners. Doesn't give up anything. And then now we're at the top of the fifth. So I'm trying to get my scorecard again here. It's the top of the fifth. Hedgy obviously is the hero here. So, so Jose grounded out. Yeah, Jose grounded out. Reyes singled. Out. Yeah, Reyes, Reyes had a nice liner. And then and an 0-2 Cloud, count nonetheless. Oh. What? It, it, Franville singled in an 0-2 count. Yeah, Alex Cole, again, he 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 may have been the like the under-the-radar. I like tweeting under-the-radar guys for me. I was just so happy for him. I don't know what his future is in this organization. There's a very good chance whenever Oscar Gonzalez is activated that he gets DFA'd, and they try to and they try to sneak him through waivers. But uh, yeah, I, I was just so happy for him. That's just a great game. Two walks, one one for two, a run. Um, so I was really happy to see that. And so then it's it's two outs. It's Hedges. Then Hedges hits like a like a loop, like like shallow balls, like. Right, that dips right in front of the center fielder, scores two, and we're 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 in the lead and we're partying, and that was really awesome to see. This inning was interesting because what you saw what you saw in the fifth inning was this was a systematic destruction of a fantastic pitcher. Um, Hosey grounded out, but he grounded out in a full count. Franmail singled in an O two count. Jimenez walked on four straight, and then Alex Call, he worked a full count and then walked. Uh, Clement softly lined out to Yandy Diaz. It was it was okay contact at best. Um, and then Austin Hedges, just that never say die mentality that we always talk about, just prevailed. Hedges in a one two count on a sinker that was in on his hands. Uh, was able to muscle it for a single and score Jimenez. And then Straw would pop out to end the inning. So they really made Shane McClanahan work. Um, and I know a lot of you guys, you don't you don't keep up with like what other pitchers are doing. Shane McClanahan, that is very out of character for him. He does not walk hitters. He just, he doesn't. He is probably the best left-handed pitcher in the American League. Um, just an absolute freak of nature. Like I continue to say, the only organization that develops pitching as well as Cleveland uh, is Tampa Bay. And Shane McClanahan is going to be a problem for a couple years. But the Guardians got it done. Uh, like you heard Chuck say, lots of patience. I went through the batting recap. Um, just good, disciplined hitting. Uh, you see that new method that the Guardians are employing with Chris Valaika really, really working. Uh, and it won him a ball game. 
against the front leading Cy Young candidate. So baseball's weird like that. <laughs> Sometimes just if you were going to tell me that this team threw two openers with Kirk McCarty as the innings eater in the same week and they won both games I, last week, I would have said you were nuts. I would have asked you for lottery numbers. Like 110% straight up. Um, Chuck has gone muted on me, so I will I will keep going here. I will give my wrapping thoughts uh, on this. So, oh, there he is. You're back. Zach. You're back. All right, sorry. Yeah, McCarty didn't have his best stuff, but it, really, it was good enough. And that's you're just that's all you can for ask him. for. That's all okay, you can ask for. Of... Zach. Yeah. You hear me, right? Yeah, I got you. All right, no, you're just you're just happy for him. You have no idea what his future is. He's been DFA'd, I think, twice already or something like that. And yep. so yeah, the pit, the bullpen was again that see Zach, this is what I was referring to in previous podcasts. If Stefan is that setup man, Morgan, they could really use him in any way they want. Yep. So he can be the yeah. fireman, he can be middle relief, he can be specialist. Yeah. Why which is, is he really the opener, how Zach? Zach, hmm? why isn't he the open? Explain it to me. Why isn't he the open? It would make the most sense. He was stretched out as a starter last year, and um, he does have a. I think it's because I think it's because they don't like they don't like that his slider is average. So his fastball is plus, his changeup is plus plus, and his slider is kind of meh. Um, he does have it. I mean, in multiple inning situations, we have seen uh, we have seen him go to the slider more often when he's called on in like a long relief situation. Um, I think I just Eli don't Morgan understand your... this Brian Shaw business. I know. Hey, it's worked. <laughs> I I would it, tell yeah, the Guardians not to tempt to the baseball gods. Like, why did Connor Pilkington pitch today? There's this theory on Twitter that because he only has two, uh, they can only option him two more times. So that they need rotation help. Aaron Savali well, is hurt. So either what you need him either they think Savali is not that far away from rejoining the team, or the club is avoiding adding pitchers to the 40-man roster that it may eventually trade, making whoever takes them on add them to the 40-man roster. Because if you trade a player that's on the 40-man roster, they have to be added to the 40-man roster of the team that you're trading them to. Or you trade them and you risk DFAing them and having them reclaimed. That just makes no sense at all. So it's more of like a leverage thing because if you have non-rostered players that you're trying to trade, it's less of an impact for an organization to take on. Whereas if you're trading a 40-man rostered player, they have to be on that team's 40-man roster. Does that make sense? I guess, but I sh- but yeah, that's really that's the why we traded for Connor Pilkington. I don't want to hear that his options are only down to two, so that's why I don't want to use him. This is why we need him. And this is what happens when your your actual pitching prospects are still about a season and a half away. Um, you can't, I just don't understand why can't Peyton Banfield get an opportunity. I know, man. I I am going to be very upset if the club trades him. It just makes a little sense to me. I know. Maybe they think he's not ready yet. Maybe he has some mechanical stuff they're still working on him with. He did have a very good bounce back start uh, for Columbus after he got blown up last Sunday. Um, I think that they're still trying to get him to get his strikeout percentage up a bit because he mowed down hitters at AAA last year or at Double Nothing A last year. Nothing anybody can tell me 
that means Brian Shaw is a better option than Peyton Battenfield to start a major league baseball game. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I agree. All um, right, so let's get back. Um, wrap, taking this one home, Classe gets the save. Standard was absolutely dynamite. No hits, one strikeout. Uh, the Rays were forced to go through their bullpen pretty deep. They used five bullpen arms in this game, uh, and that's what you like to see. McClanahan did not even get five innings. He went four and a third, uh, knocked out the ace early. They made him work. His pitch count was up, and uh, you like to see that. So... I have nothing else on this game. Uh, team risk overall for the series was really good. Uh, they were three for 13 in this game. They were three for 12 on Friday. And I want to say they were two for seven on Saturday. So that's really good. So just want to add in his last 29 innings, Emmanuel class a has given up one run and three walks. And that's in that accompanied by like 29 strikeouts. Yeah. Yep. That is in, no 31. Oh, jeez. And he's 16 for 16. That is incredible. I'm telling you, man, ever since that ever since that blown save in New York in that game that should have gone to extra innings, he has been untouchable. He really has. And I think this series is a testament that the Guardians should be buyers at the trade deadline. Um, and we're going to transition into mailbag. It's just all open with this thought. The for those of you following the Major League Baseball trade trade deadline and wondering why on God's green earth your timeline is not blowing up with guys like Jeff Passan, Hector Gomez, John Heyman, John Morosi, uh, dropping all this stuff tomorrow night Tuesday morning. I think it'll be nuts. Well, so the Juan Soto thing is dampering a lot of stuff because there's a lot of teams that are questioning about him uh, that could very much use him. Uh, here's my prediction. Nobody is buying at that price, period. Especially but for two years days. retainability. Uh, I think it's going to stall out and you'll see teams transition uh, to other pieces. It also does not help that the Mariners overpaid for Luis Castillo. I said that earlier. So you think Soto stays? I do. I think the price is too high. The The Nats are idiots. Um, allegedly, they are going to offer him one more contract. They said they would offer him one more. And then if not, uh, they'll try to deal him before the deadline. I think that their front office is run by buffoons and their ownership is really crappy. Uh, They're not going to get what they want for him. They need to lower their expectations. Teams are not going to mortgage their futures for one player. Nobody is that stupid. Uh, If somebody does pay it, um, I hope that they have the depth to replace what they're losing. Uh, because you're talking a five or six for one. Actually, it's probably going to be a five or six for two because whoever's getting Soto needs to take Corbin's terrible contract. Uh, I will talk deadline later. Yeah, we, we've got deadline stuff coming up this week. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do the deadline show that we were talking about Tuesday. I'm going to be on the road, I think, at some point this week. I've unfortunately had a death in my family, and uh, I'm standing by for some details on that. So we can go into mailbag. Uh, this is the Sorry, segment of this is the segment of the show where you guys send us questions on Twitter. We got a couple this week, and then we'll wrap us out of here. And we're actually going to get out of here at a decent time this weekend. All right. So as always, you guys are welcome to send us questions on our Twitter. Uh, you can send it to me. You can send it to Chuck. You can send it to the podcast account. 
Uh, we'll start with Trey. So Trey asked us first, what's your dream scenario for the Guardians at the trade deadline? I'll let you start with this one. My dream is Sean Murphy. <laughs> I, just... no, Zach, I want him so bad, dude. Zach, if you think about it, catcher is really the only position where, Zach, look at Sean Murphy's WRC Plus and Austin Hedges. It's insane. That's really the only position Zach, could you look that up for me when uh, when you have a chance? Yep, I'm on fan graphs right now. That's really the pos- only position in the lineup where you can make a monster upgrade and you don't lose anything defensively with it. So he, the, the, the rough part is, what will we give up? For three years control, it's going to cost us a lot. His WRC plus is 114. Let's hear it. What's Hedges, wrong? What's Hedges rocking? Oh, God. Give me a second. 40-something? 40 40 yeah. 48? Yep. It's 48. Uh, 46. Oh, really? 46. Oh, oh my God. You're close. Zach, so, Zach, think about that. You're trading for Sean Murphy, who has 114 WRC plus offensively, and you don't lose anything defensively. It's insane. Why wouldn't you? That, that has to be the target. And it's three years control. Okay, everyone's screaming about Bo Naylor. Bo Naylor's not, you're asking Bo Naylor, who's going to be, what, 23 by next season? Yeah, he's so, not even 23 yet. Yeah, so you're not even, he's not, it, just asking him to pick up a whole pitching staff by opening day next year, it's not fair. It's just way too much for a young player to do. You know, so he's not going to just, oh, hey, you're the number one catcher opening day. I still think how that's going to work. So... They they need a, a catcher, a bridge catcher, and then you could eventually flip him down the line. Down, so, assuming question, Naylor continues to develop correctly, yes. Yeah. So I, the question is, how much would you give up for Murphy? That's probably the million dollar question. What's going on right now? Um, you know, it's actually just been confirmed by Zach Mizell just now that they are talking to Oak that they have had conversations with Oakland about Sean Murphy. That did you see, confirmed. did you see his article that he posted while we were doing the interview with Scott? So I didn't read it. Yet. I, I want to read it. Uh, uh, after the, after the podcast, don't talk give it away, please. I haven't uh, read it yet. It's just, I did see the headlines say that the guardians had engaged in talks with Oakland. Yeah. I just, they're, they really hang on to prospects. Really, I just don't. I, I, I just don't see them pulling the trigger on it realistically. But that is my dream scenario. So for will me, they part with Gavin Williams or Daniel Spino? Uh, they definitely won't part with Espino. Gavin Williams is where everybody, you know, gets dicey. So I like. I'm on the Sean Murphy bandwagon. Um, I think Oakland would pretty much. We have, I mean, they need everything, folks. Let's let's be completely honest. I'm not opposed to trading a guy like Brian Rocchio uh, for Sean Murphy because I think we can lock up the middle infield internally or through free agency. So Sean Murphy, obviously, you want that offensive upgrade at catcher, and uh, we need pitching. So I'm going to go, boy, I don't know, man. I The more I've sat on it, I really don't know if I'm the GM, if I'm willing to pay the price for Pablo Lopez. He does look good. He's an ace caliber starter. He's got two years of control. You want him over Murphy? I know I want both. (laughs) Although I think it would be completely unrealistic uh, to get both because I think you're going to give up a three for one for Sean Murphy and you're probably going to give up a three for one 
uh, for Pablo Lopez, if not more, because guess what? The Mariners set that precedent and uh, the Marlins are in rebuild mode and they know they have something people want. So the price is going to be high. Now, something that I think is a little more realistic. I think we can pluck Anthony Bass off of the Marlins for pretty cheap. That's my um, guy. That, prob- that would probably be a one for one with some cash considerations or a potential player to be named later. Um, I like David Bedner. It would take a little bit to get him. Uh, the Pirates front office and Guardians have worked cl- pretty close together over the last year. I could see that happening. Uh, he would give you that extra lockdown back end bullpen help to go alongside Trevor Steffen and eventually James Karinchak once he's solidified that he's not volatile. So that's what my deadline looks like. Uh, like I said, the price on Lopez is going to be pretty high. Um, he may not even move this year. They may keep him until I, the winter. You know, I don't know, man. They may pull a rabbit out of the hat. They've always surprised us before. Like none of us ever saw them trading for Andrew Miller. You're you could be right. I just I just don't see them. They may pull a trade off that none of us have even talked about. That would be uh, so amazing. That, so that's that. So that's where you're right. That's where I think everybody's like behind the eight ball, like behind behind. Oh, the, absolutely. Like th- this team just does something that nobody's nobody sees coming. You know, and so um, that's where I think what's going to end up happening. They're very shy to give up prospects. That's where that's where all this is going to halt. So that's one that's that's one thing I'm nervous about. Wait, who who submitted that question? By the way, uh, that was Trey. Uh, Trey, let me uh, scroll back here. Hang on. I just want to say, uh, con- congratulations to Trey. He was officially uh, added to Bleedland Media. So, congratulations, and uh, we're going to be looking out for you on and what you, and your articles. And congratulations to you, brother. Yes, sir. So let's see what else we got here. Uh, Jody, of course, Joe sends yes. us questions every week. He said, I have two. Do you think the Guardians extend Jimenez in the offseason? And is Bo Naylor the starting catcher on opening day for 2023? Uh, I'll start with this one. So I think the Guardians might entertain offering Jimenez an extension. Um, I don't think it's this year because I think in the offseason, you're going to try to lock up Naylor. Uh, I think... I think Naylor's price is a little bit cheaper and that's not to degrade Naylor at all, but it's because Naylor plays a position where you're willing to take a hit on defense. Um, I think Naylor, you can offer him a little bit cheaper of an extension uh, and still pay him and get good value for him. I think they try him in as in the next year. Uh, And do I see Bo Naylor as the starting catcher on 2023? No, because we're going to trade for Sean Murphy. And uh, Sean Murphy will be the opening catcher on uh, 2023 with Bo Naylor as the second. Um, And that would make perfect sense because you could DH Naylor and still get him uh, ABs when Murphy is catching and Murphy could take the DH slot uh, when Bo is. Oh my God. Austin Hedges is a 46 WRC plus. That's so unacceptable. (laughs) (laughs) So that's, 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 that's where I'm at on that. Um, Chuck, what are your thoughts? I don't think Zach. You know what? Let's ask a more real. Like, I want to give a more realistic answer. Let's say we don't trade for Sean Murphy, right? Okay. Then who is the starting? Is Bo Naylor still the starting catcher? Opening day starting catcher. I could see it out of camp. Yeah. 
Right, so I'm going Austin Hedges. I'm going. I think they resign Hedges to like a one year deal. Yeah, I, I think they give him a one year deal, four million dollars. You know, I, I just think let's say if they don't deal for Sean Murphy, that's a lot to ask of a young player to, it to is. command the clubhouse because your catcher is really your defensive leader on the field. Yes, you know Cleveland it has a great tradition of catchers, especially de- defensive catchers, Roberto Perez, Jan Gomes. Sandy Almar Jr., uh, Victor Martinez, you know, so it's really, uh, it's, uh, that's a big, big ask. And I just worry that I also, uh, nobody wants to hear this, but I don't want to rush Bo Naylor. I don't want to rush his development. So they got to take a, and Sandy Almar Jr. is a, is a genius when it comes to catching development. So they're going to take a long look at him in camp, but I, I, I I don't think Bo Naylor is the is now. Look, I do think he's gonna get he's gonna make his season debut, and I do think he's gonna contribute in a major way next season. When it comes to him and as Zach, we spoke about this last week. I think we had a question on this. Um, I do. They're gonna extend Naylor. I, it's gonna be cheaper. They're they're gonna buy out his arbitration years, and then hopefully get a, a free agent year or two with a club option at at the last at the last year of it. And, you know, he has a brother in the system. He was drafted by Cleveland. He, they really love the Cleveland area. So I think that's going to be something to look out for. And Andres Jimenez is a little dicey. The, the a scenario I see where they sign him, and again, they get him at like a, you know, they have four years of control left. They sign him for maybe six years. Zach, is that the, that's what I'm thinking. Four years with a one-year buyout, one-year free agency with a six-year six, six club option. He's still 29, 28. He still enters free agency in his prime. Yeah. So then, you know, when you're free agent at 28, 29, you still get one of the, you get a second bite of the apple, one of those monster free agency deals. So Jimenez is going to be a lot more harder to do because he already has an all star under, under his, under his belt. Then he's a middle infielder. So that's going to be very difficult. I don't see them doing it. That's just, I, that's just me. I, I wish. I hope it does happen. But Zach, maybe do you think that because of the amount of depth we have in the infield, that maybe they don't they still they don't see the need to sign sign Jimenez? Maybe I think he's solidified himself though. As you you have to do something, you either let him walk into free agency and take advantage of when he's cheap, uh, and replace him with organizational depth, or you sign him get rid of Rosario, move Jimenez to his native position where you benefit from his plus defense, um, and then fill the second base hole with one of your options like Rocchio or Freeman. They're, they're definitely going to have the conversation. That's definitely I, I think for sure. One is just this comes back to the same thing of like, there's just so much clutter in the farm system. It's like, what do you do with all of it? Well, you have to figure that part out before you can do anything else. Uh, yeah, I, Chuck's right. It is a lot to ask a guy. You know, Naylor will turn 23 during next year. Uh, during 23. the season. He, he's a, yeah, he's, he's, gonna a, he's so young. It's just it's, people don't realize what goes into a catcher controlling, a, uh, managing a pitching staff. Nobody realizes what goes in, how much studying goes in, with the rapport you have to have. It's so much to put on a young player's plate. Actually, he turned 23 in camp. His birthday is February 21st. Um, yeah, but however, I think the club does protect him. Like you have to do something at some point because he is rule five eligible this year. And uh, y- you got to do something because 
Fangraphs has him ranked as the team's third overall prospect, uh, which I think is a little high compared to some other stuff. But that's is that actually the, true? Well, the top ten is so crowded you could uh, you could interchange any of the names well, in any Fangraphs order. Fangraphs had Bo Naylor ranked twenty eighth before the season started. They have him ranked as the team's third overall prospect now too. That is amazing. Yep. So you have to do something with him. Um, catchers that are speedy, hit for power, and play good defense are hard to come by. Uh, I don't think they're going to let him walk in the Rule 5 draft. You will definitely see a move to add him to the 40-man roster. Uh, and whether he's playing alongside Sean Murphy or Austin Hedges, I think he's the number two uh, next year. I think that's pretty much a lock. Yeah. Uh, and that'll be good to see uh, a young guy playing with his brother. That's going to be fun to watch. If you guys haven't watched Bo, Bo knows. So Scott sent us two. Uh, it's in relation to Sean Murphy. Uh, what uh, what package would you offer Oakland for Sean Murphy? What sort of t- return would you be willing to accept for Fran Mill or Plesak and the likelihood of any of these deals happening? You could also add a med to the list of what sort of return would be acceptable. And why does he feel like the player that would require the biggest overpay? Uh, there's a lot of thoughts to be to these two questions so we'll do the first one so the package for sean murphy and then the returns for fran mel plesak and Ahmed. so we'll take the sean murphy one first so if i'm looking at oakland they need <laughs> they literally need anything uh they need middle infielders which guess what we have that so tyler freeman is probably going um, they're in rebuild mode and they're not focused so much on winning now because they have prospects that they're developing. So I don't think they're going to scrape anybody off the major league roster. I think a package of one of Gavin Williams and or Logan Allen, Tyler Freeman, uh, and probably Joey Cantillo. Uh, wow. I think, I think that's, that's, that's what you're looking at. If you look at the Matt Olson deal, you know, that's, that's where you're sitting on that. So that's where I'm at on what I'm offering Oakland. That, that's a pretty hefty package. That's a 70 grade hit tool second baseman, a strikeout, two strikeout heavy pitchers that throw mid 90s. And I mean, it's Joey Freaking Gantillo. Come on. That, that's All a right, healthy Zach, trade so package. There's no way was, the A's don't take that. What was the question? What would you offer for Sean Murphy? Okay, so this is really. It's three years club control. I'm doing whatever I can to not part with Espino and Gavin Williams. Espino obviously is untouchable for me. I, I'm on record on this podcast. I wouldn't trade Gavin Williams, Zach. You remember? There's three untouchables to me. There's Gavin Williams, Daniel Espino, and Zach. I'm going to shock you with this. Then there's Bo Naylor because this position. Ooh, is Valera on the block? Yes, Valera is on the block. I think Quan's development has changed things for the outlook of this outfield. Um, and Bo Naylor's uh, positional value is, especially for the lack of depth in this organization, way too high to trade. Yeah. So those, Well, the A's do, don't need a catcher. They got Shea Langliers from the Braves. Uh, but, it's, but at some Olsen point, deal. when you're, especially in your contention, you got to give to get. Yeah. So I'm going Tyler Freeman. Yep. I think that's a guarantee. I think at this point, Tyler Freeman is in any deal. I'm going Tyler Freeman. Okay. Then this is going to hurt. Then I'm going Logan Allen. 
I I think they like Cantillo, Cantillo a lot, and he's really a sleeper in this organization, especially for next year. Yep. So I'm going five for one. I'm putting in Jose Ooh. Tena. Oh. I'm, I'm putting in Jose Tena. Yep. Putting in Jose Tena. So then it gets tricky. I would almost consider putting in Valera, but I'm going to fight not to. And that's so I'm going to go Gabriel Arias, Tyler Freeman, Logan Allen, Jose Tena. And then if then if the, there's no deal made, you know what? I'm going to see something here. So Murphy has three years control. Yep. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's very valuable. He's and, all three years of arbitration, right? Yeah, and and yes, like Oakland has, like you know, they have prospects, but they don't have to deal Murphy right now. So, and you know, Zach, I'm going to shock you with this. I'm going to put in Tanner Burns in that package. Ooh. So Logan Allen, Tanner Burns, Jose Tana, Tyler Freeman, Gabriel Arias, Gabriel Arias. Yeah. Oh man, that is a. There's no doing- way Oakland says no to that. I'm doing whatever I can to not include Gavin Williams, Bo Naylor, Daniel Espino, and George Valera. George Valera isn't untouchable to me, but he is—he's like right on that line. That's that's a hefty package. You know what? While while we talk about this, I'm I'm curious to see. I'm going to put this through the Baseball Trade Values website and see what I it hate says. That it. It's as close as we're going to get to like the NBA trade machine, but it's it's fun to mess around with. So you said the Guardians are going to get from the Athletics, Sean Murphy. I have to scroll through here and sort this Um, while we're talking about while I'm doing this, uh, we can move on to the next part of this. Uh, What are returns that you would be willing to accept for Fran Mill and Plesak? So, what are returns that I'm willing to accept? Yep. I'm really low on Fran Mill, and I love Fran Mill more than anything. I just, I I would want a higher level, I would want a AAA arm, possibly with Major League experience, but I would want a AAA arm. And I'm going for three players i'd want a top 15 prospect because you're still banking on his his power plus two years control so you're, you're trying to sell that you're, you're you're trying to sell his 40 home run power so I, i'd probably take a top 15 prospect and two two lottery tickets and you know probably at the back end of the top 30 but i, I my 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 goal would be to get an upper level arm a triple a triple a arm and then two two prospects in low A ball, probably like uh, outfielders, or maybe even we definitely need some catching depth also. So so a top fifteen prospect, and then two lottery tickets in the back the back thirty to unranked prospects. All right, so That's you, for answer, you answered that. So you proposed Logan Allen, Gabriel Arias, Tanner Burns, Tyler Freeman, and Jose Tana to Oakland for Murphy, right? That was your deal? Yes. Yes. Okay. 
the total value that Oakland would receive in that trade, baseball trade values estimates at 56.10. You want to know how much it estimates Murphy at? Sure. 57.8. So my That's trade. That, could... Yep. Right it, on the money. Yep. It, it validates that trade as acceptable based on value. Now, is there any way that any team says no to a five for one, especially when you're getting prospects where three of them are arguably major league ready? Absolutely freaking not. There's no way Oakland says no to this deal. Hell, you could probably swindle them on a three for one. Um, but that that is a very, according to baseball trade values, very fair trade uh, right on the money. Chuck, you know your stuff like that was any surprise to any of us. What would so you take Plesak, in return for Plesak? So that that I'm taking the moon and and the stars. I'm I'm giving up three years control for a guy a whose fifth, ceiling is pretty high. For a fifth debatable fourth starter with a high ceiling, you can sell up on the year 2020 when he was pitching out of his mind. Um, but realistically, he's probably a fourth fifth starter in everybody's eyes. But a f- that's very valuable on the market. And that is, there's not a lot of starting pitching on the market. Yes, there's obviously Frankie Montas and then Carlos Verdanch went on the market, but there's, and, and, uh, Mihail out of Cincinnati. So I'm, I'm coming from the moon on that, Zach. I want two, I want one top five prospect, uh, a one top 10 prospect, and then Ooh. two in your, then two in your top, top 30. Ooh, I want four, four for one. one. Yeah, it's all about that controllability. I want, but but Zach, I want two in the top ten, and two and one in the top twenty, and the last one in the thirties. Okay, that's a pretty hefty return. But like you said, controllability plays a big factor when teams look at stuff like this. So for me on this one, uh, I'm gonna go. Pre- <laughs> This might shock you a little bit. I'm going to go pretty freaking low uh, for Fran Mill. If I absolutely need to get rid of him by addition via subtraction, I would accept international signing money. <laughs> oh, really? You're that low on Fran Mill? I just because you it's, can't it's trade him to anybody. I agree. Not only that, I, would, I think and like I, a, I, a comp- I hate saying that. Let me preface this by saying I hate saying that because it's awful. I, I don't agree. like being negative like that. Yeah, but I agree, which is why I settled for. I, 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 a part of me in my mind still thinks of him as the forty home run hitter, but maybe it's just not. You can't sell maybe that right he needs now. Needs a change of scenery. Yeah. So, um, realistically, I if tr- I have to take a player, I, I want a two for one in a team's I, low A. Oh, so you just, just want you want the roster spot pretty much. You're taking two lottery tickets on a roster spot, basically. Yeah, maybe you know I'll. Cleveland develops its outfielders in the international complex, and if you've been following, you know what the team is doing with their outfielders in the Dominican Summer League. Oh, the, the future is very promising. So I am going to take lottery tickets on young guys. Uh, maybe some competitive balance round picks. Uh, that's for the what draft. I, see, that's what I was gonna say. I would take yep. a competitive balance pick, yeah. Then maybe a high end arm. Yep. I, I just actually make we... it make it two lottery tickets from low A, a position player, a pitcher, and a competitive balance round pick. I think that's fair. 
Yeah, because so if Framil decides to turn it around, he's slugging 900 for the year and hitting 40 homers. Yeah, so I I I want a competitive balance pick. And then I want like a a high level arm. Yep. But like a Connor Pilkington, a Jor- a Peyton Battenfield, like a Triple A level arm. Yep. Which and I may not even have to put him on the 40. That that, that that's until ne- until the rule five. Be but a nice just, nice addition. But we just lack options right now in pitching depth. Yep. As we can see, as we're starting Brian Shaw every fifth. Pleasac, right my Pleasac, I'm where you are. Um, I think <laughs> the team. I don't think he gets traded. I don't think he. I think he does. Um, look at really? look at the pitching market, dude. You're gonna tell me if I have to ride out the rest of the year with Pilkington filling the fifth spot, who's arguably not worse than Pleasac? Because Pilking, let me preface this: Pilkington will get better the more he pitches. Period. Um, like the return for Luis Castillo. Now, granted, Luis Castillo is an ace, but like I could get a four for one of decent prospects for police acts control. If a team thinks that they can help him with his mechanics and help him with his running, like managing runners on base, like that. Absolutely. It's a pitching market. The, the trade market is starred for pitching. I don't think you're any worse off with Pilkington filling the five spot the rest of the year or a guy like Peyton Battenfield. Everybody um, rips on Pilkington. I thought, Zach, I think he he's will fine. Be fine. He practically skipped triple A and was thrust into a really weird spot. It's not, he really keeps you fault. in games. The final, yes. the final, the final he line does what ugly. a fifth starter is supposed to do. The final line is ugly, but he keeps you in games. And I don't, I don't give a crap what anybody says. He's no, he's no worse than please act. Period. I'd be okay with him as the fifth starter of the rest of the year. I would like to see realistically for Plesak. I think two top he's not 20s, having a great year. He's he not, but he has shown flashes of what his ceiling can be. He did have that stretch of six starts where he was quality start and was just getting really shitty run support. Uh, his win loss record is not reflective of how he's pitched this year. He's two and nine or two and seven. Uh, that does not tell everything you need to know about him. When he was pitching that stretch of quality starts, he was money. He was striking out six. It's not like the FIB is that great either. No, it's it's not, but he was striking out guys. He was limiting walks and he had learned how to control the game with runners on base. He's kind of fallen away from that. Um, I think he's a serviceable fifth pitcher or even a long relief guy out of a bullpen. He's definitely a serviceable major league pitcher. Absolutely. Starter. You know, earlier in this year, I said the dumb thing of just DFAM. I've learned the value of guys like Plesak. Um, You know, their ceiling is high enough that you can live with their bad. I want a organizational two top 15 prospects and two top 30s. Four for one. Especially in a pitching market that is starved for pitching this year for playoff teams because of all the injuries. I think you can capitalize on that. Uh, and you can meet team needs and bolster your future. The last likelihood of any of these deals happening, uh, Fran Mill, absolutely not. Plesak, if the price, if the if the cash is right, yes. I think, Chuck, you would agree with that. Uh, I there's think no... Fran Mill gets traded in Plesak's days. Ooh, okay. See, I'm of the opposite mind. I think Fran Mill's harder to move, and Plesak is an easy bait. Um, and then the last part to this is you could also add a med to this list. Um, and why does it feel like he would require the biggest overpay? Well, simple. That's because right now he's the number two hitter batting 300. 
you can't count on him for diddly squat with runners on base in late inning situations. However, if you have guys that can hit behind him and drive him in, he's very fast. And two, he gets on base. He walks, he hits, he hits gaps. He can get doubles. Uh, I think you should capitalize on him because his value will never, will never be any higher. higher. And you know what? There was, there was a while where he absolutely stank period, but he has turned it around. And I think you have to capitalize on that, especially because I don't think the team views him as a long-term option. I don't think they're going to sign him in free agency. No, they're definitely not going to extend them. There's just so much depth on this roster. It's just insanity. Um, Why would you not trade him? Unless the team views that he's just, a vital part and they're not willing to part with that offense. I just don't think they want to, they're nervous it's going to blow up the clubhouse. About, he is a big clubhouse chemistry guy. And especially during a pen. I don't, rather the front office likes it or not, they're in contention. So it, they got a, they got a decision to make. I, I, I don't think they trade him. I, I, it's, it's gonna it's gonna send such a bad message in the clubhouse. So I, I could see uh, it going either way because we always forget there is that business side of baseball. There's also not such a market for shortstop this year. There's not, not there's not a lot of com- teams competing that need shortstop. Maybe Philadelphia, um, Tampa. I could see because they're so banged up. Um, but wasn't Wander just, Franco hurt? Yeah, he's he's hurt for a while. Yep. Well, Isak Paredes, man, that trade that they made with Detroit where they sent Austin Meadows to Detroit for Isak Paredes, he is, he tore us up that entire series. But that's a song and dance for another time. We need to finish up because I'm getting yelled at. Our last question of the night. Let me see. Let me find it here. I do want to say it came from none other than Nicole. Yep, I was right. Uh, So Nicole sent us another fantastic one. Uh, This one's a little bit more deep thought. Since the 2022 trade season is in full swing, I have a question about the 2021 trades. If their contracts would have worked out, who would you rather have kept last year? And who would you have traded instead? Harold Ramirez, Cesar Cesar Hernandez, or Eddie Rosario? Well, the the obvious one for this one is Eddie Rosario. Uh, Rosario went to the Braves, was activated off the injured list, and went on to have an August, September, and postseason. That is, it's going to be remembered in the history books as one of the greatest postseason runs of all time. NLCS MVP put the Dodgers to sleep with a huge three-run home run uh, to silence the Dodgers in the NLCS. Um, Who would I have traded instead? Uh, so I would have kept Rosario. I would have traded, man. I now I have to think. You, Chuck, you may be better suited to answer the second part of this question. So I'm going to let you go. Wait, so while I think about who was on the what, team what's, last what's year. What's the exact question? What's the exact question? If their contracts would have worked out, who would you rather have kept last year, and who would you have traded instead? Harold Ramirez, Cesar Hernandez, or Eddie Rosario? This is last year, not this year. Yeah. So it said, since the 2022 trade season is in full swing, I have a question about the 2021 trades. So think back to last year's deadline. Oh, I mean, I'm keeping Eddie Rosario all the way. Yep. And what's the second part of the question? Who would you have traded instead? I'm keeping Eddie. Ooh, this is hard. 
actually, would it have mattered? Because we weren't really in contention really last season. So no, but think about it. If if you a lot of things shift if you keep Rosario because Rosario is left fielder, probably no Stephen Kwan. Right. So I keep Eddie Rosario, and who would I trade instead? Ooh, that's a tough one. From last year's roster, I Harold. That. Harold's actually having a crazy year in Tampa before he got hurt. Before he just broke his hand literally like three days ago. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think. This is a tough question. I have to find who was on the team. <laughs> I had to go back and I look may, at Baseball Almanac. I may even trade Ahmed Rosario, to be honest. Okay. Maybe, cap- maybe capitalize Rosario. on a little bit more control. Yeah. You have two <clears> years <throat> control. Yeah, that's what I'm doing because he had a good season last year in Red Rosario. And his value was very high. I, you and I always said a big mistake was not trading a Med Rosario. So I'm trading a Med Rosario and I'm keeping Eddie Rosario. Okay. I'm def- we're definitely trading Cesar Hernandez. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that trade turned out to pay dividends for a guy that fell off pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, so if it's me. um, Man, that's a tough question, because last year's roster was not exactly all that appetizing. Oh, in yeah, terms Bobby of Bradley, Oscar Mercados. It was gross. Jace, I mean, J.C. Mejia having to watch oh, him pitch for God. a month was oh, abysmal. Oh. Um, I probably would have traded Blake Parker. I mean, obviously you we ended up trading. That, 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 you can't just say that. That's, <laughs> you, have to, you have to make he's a positional player. I know. Um, I want to trade Justin Garza. Come on. So obviously Rosario is like the obvious keep. Man, I really don't know. Like, uh, maybe goes. Maybe Bobby Bradley. Yeah. His value was his his value value was was at its highest. As good as you're gonna get, he hadn't tanked it into the toilet yet. Yeah, Uh, Bobby Bradley for me, maybe try to capitalize on that um, because that ship has sailed. Uh, But you know what? That's baseball. Um, Most people would tell you, at least from a scouting perspective and hoping players pan out, uh, any good scout will tell you that they're wrong about thirty percent of the time, Uh, and that's. That's probably not even how, how often they're wrong. Uh, it's probably realistically more like 40% if you include like how they miss on like individual categories, how well a guy hits. But overall on prospects, you know, they'll tell you they miss about three out of 10 times. That's that's a pretty big percentage. And Bobby Bradley was one of them. So that's all the questions we had for this week. A huge thank you to you guys that always send us stuff because you know, it's whatever's on your mind at the time about the team. I've learned that when we do mailbag, a lot of it always centers around, you know, how the team's doing at the time. Uh, and it keeps our minds fresh uh, for the way we talk about the team and trying to be objective. It, you know, I'm not just sitting here pulling ideas out of my head. Like I'm actually trying to think like if I'm looking at an organization from the top down, it's like, how do I manage my major league team? How do I make sure my farm system is not barren? 
Um, but how do I manage that with making sure I have good prospects that are ready for the future, but also still tradable? Like there's, I just, I love that you guys always are out here tweaking our brains. And obviously you guys know that Chuck and I love sitting down and talking baseball, but I am getting yelled at <laughs> in the good way uh, to get off for the week. So I need to export this so that I can upload it tomorrow morning. Chuck, you got any closing thoughts? No, just thank you so much for your questions, and uh, it's going to be a crazy week. Uh, enjoy, enjoy deadline week, and uh, let's hope the Guardians upgrade our roster. Yep, let's hope for a splash. Uh, I'm going to go read Zach Mizell's article and see what he said about it, because, of course, he's always knowledgeable. And we will see you guys. Uh, there's not going to be a live show this week, because I'm going to be on the road, and we'll be back for next week. All right, folks, there you have it. That is a banger episode. That is the first interview Chuck and I have done, and we got a lot more coming for you guys. Uh, Willie Hood, Justin Latta, maybe even some of the players that Cleveland drafted in this year's Major League Baseball draft. I don't know. Stay tuned. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to being able to tell you guys for sure when that happens, so keep your eyes on the Twitter because it'll be there first. As always, I'm your host, Zach. You can find me on Twitter at Zachary underscore Buckeye. You can find the podcast at at the corner pod. You can find Chuck at Chuck 636-18910. Or you can email us uh, for you a little bit more older fashioned folk at the corner pod at gmail.com. I'm Zach. Thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of At The Corner this week. We love bringing this to you guys and doing it for you. Make sure you stay tuned to the Twitter for information on live shows. Um, I've got something going on right now that's probably going to require a bit of my attention this week, unfortunately. I've had a death in the family and I'm looking at being on the road later this week. But I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you have any suggestions for us on what you want to hear, guests you want us to have on, uh, the DMs are always open. Come comment on tweets. Uh, You guys can message me privately. And uh, even if you just want to come on here and talk some ball, you know, that invitation is always open. And this podcast would not be possible without all of you that have engaged with us. And so I greatly appreciate all of your support. Uh, I'm going to let y'all go. Uh, real quick, the Guardians, uh, you guys probably already know this by now, but have selected the contract of Will Benson. Anthony Goes has been transferred to the 60-day injured list, and Alex Call has been optioned to AAA Columbus. So look for Will Benson to make his debut. If you guys are listening to this episode on Monday, I would fully expect to see him in the lineup card tonight. Get hype. He's got a great game. Leads the International League in walks on base percentage and slugging. Absolutely fantastic player profile. He's going to be fun to watch. I'm out. Go Guardians. Watch Benson's debut tonight. Get turkeys. And we will see you guys next time. That's all for now.